degrees. Inland Annapolis Center, do you have any test operation in restricted area 2508? Area 31, Roger. Traffic is quite luminous and is exhibiting some non-ballistic motion, over. Roger, Area 31. Continue to send at your discretion, over. Okay, Senator. The traffic is approaching head-on, ultra-bright, and really moving. They're right by us, right now. There are a thousand UFO sightings reported around the world every month. 90% of these sightings can be explained, but 10% cannot. Officially and unofficially, the U.S. military has been investigating UFOs since 1947. Their top secret goal is to find out what's behind these unexplained sightings. The Pentagon classifies them as unusual airborne anomalies, but a better term is X-Files. Join us now as Mac Wanwan and Commander Cobra explore these unsolved cases, UFO incidents that baffle even the U.S. military. This is Mac Maloney's Military X-Files. And now, here's Mac Maloney. Well, good evening, everyone, and welcome to Mac Maloney's Military X-Files show here on the Distant Thunder Radio Network. This is Mac Maloney. What a show we have for you tonight. But first, let me introduce the members of the Posse Slash Party. Girls, get ready. Sit yourselves down, get the mist of the fan, the big box of Kleenex, and the uh, economy pack of wipes. Because they're very famous. Why the economy pack? I don't know. Just try to <laughs> shake it up, you know? I'm sick of extra large. Oh, <laughs> Do I have to start over? Should I start no. over? Okay. The very famous Juan Juan is here. Hello, everybody. Hello, girls. Thanks for tuning in again. Another fabulous show. Right from the beginning, too. Right off the we bat. We keep extra tabs on how long the... Particularly, the young ladies are, or uh, ladies of any age are on the show, right? As far as listening, do we have a metric for that? Coco always says, "When you dig in a hole, stop." Right? <laughs> I thought we did. Anyway, speaking of Coco, up there in the Great White North, wearing a hunter's hat in his compound, and his face well lit too. By that's his, true. His computer screen. They know it's Coco on the street, but we know him as Commander Cobra. Coco, how you doing? There he is with the hey, salute. Coco. Let's salute Even him. Gentlemen, Remember, as always, what a, happened? Uh, we have a pleasure to, uh, to join the formation. Thank right. you. Love, actually, excellent. Okay. Salute there, sir. So, what's with the hat there? So you don't get shot in the winter? Well, it's uh, it's early hunting here up in the great territories of the Northeast, right. otherwise known as Maine. Yes. And I have a lot of hunters that like to cross into my lands, and I like to give them at least the opportunity not to shoot me. Right. Okay. That's bigger. Uh, by you. wearing the uh, proper garments. Yeah. I uh, getting ready now to you start. Have. I'm upping the uh, program just a tiny bit, and I will start now chasing them. I would walk uh, since they don't like. I'd walk around a full orange yet. suit, but I'd bring a gun. That would that would confuse them and scare them. Hey, listen. You don't post the place, do you? Do you? You patrol. It's the place? going to be posted this year because I'm tired of I'm tired of being the nice neighbor about it. Uh oh. Yeah. Okay. Great. So I'm gonna put a little can on the side of the road. It's gonna say, "Hunters, why don't you pay for my property taxes?" And then we'll talk about you using. That's my good. Land. They'll understand that. They won't be mad at that. Oh, that's a good idea. Right. And you know what? The deer love me. They know this place is Switzerland, so it's cool. Oh, it really did. So if they feel safe in that area, that's you really should be posting it. Okay. All right. Uh, uh, okay. Should we move on, girls, or what? Let's, let's go. I'm sorry. I get sentimental over animals. Up. Up there. Up <laughs> there. Somewhere over the rainbow. In the bowl of flakes. <laughs> Battle Creek, Michigan, is our national correspondent, Switchblade Steve Ward. Switchy, help us. Hey, Switch, you there? I mean, the Battle Creek of the Republic. That whatever. That's right. Yes, right. Yep. How you doing there uh, tonight, yes, Switch? Uh, great. Don Wynn from the Serial Factory. It's great to be here. Once again, Wani. Sorry. Steps all over you, Angel. Everything good with you? Yes. Switching? Yes. Yeah. Way beyond wonderful. Way beyond wonderful. Okay. That's the, uh, oh, yes. the sequel to the autobiography. Let me move on. He's always upbeat. He is. What's the matter with him? He's like a 
He's like Mr. Rogers on steroids. <laughs> really? <laughs> All right, let's. We better move on. Uh, tonight, our security chief is here. Oh, our security chief is here. <laughs> Willie Club down in beautiful Methuen, Massachusetts. Mr. Club, how are you doing? You know, I'm really doing great tonight, Mac. I, I feel so good. Yes. I'm going to jump in head first tonight. I'm just ready to go. Wow, huh? Okay. Always into, check the depth in, of the water, buddy. Into the Always check the depth of the pool. Yes, it could be shallow or very deep. We don't know yet. But I, I got to tell you one thing. He dignifies the show just the way he looks. Yeah, uh, I know it. it. We were just saying off here, you could run for president, and uh, you know who knows what would happen. He's the equivalent of a British voice on NPR. Dignifying the show. Yeah, okay. What do you think? Want to do it? I thought we were watching Touched by an Angel. Ooh, yeah. yeah. We don't know what that means, but... I'll take all the praise yeah. I can get. <laughs> Speaking He's of... the guy you meet at the pearly gates with that white suit on. Oh, okay. Speaking of angels, a good friend, Jill Hansen is with us. Hi, Jill. How are you doing? Hi, Mac. Doing great. Sounds Hi. like everyone else is doing great, great, Hi, great. We're doing so awesome. happy to be here. Okay. Can we say you sound like an angel, or is that uh, crossing the line? If whatever, I mean, you're in charge of your descriptors. So. Oh, yes, it sounds, if, uh, that's what I sound like. You sound like you're talking from a, a large room. <laughs> oh, there's a lot of interpretation that could go into that. But listen, so now we're here, the gang, and um, we're going to be talking about a number of interesting things tonight. Coming up in a little while, we're going to be talking to our good friend, Phil Bain, who is the owner of the company that makes Monopoly, Risk, Ouija Boards, The Works. Okay, it's called Winning Moves. But he's also, he's Mr. Monopoly. He's the world's. Um, best player in Monopoly, and uh, but he also knows a lot about the history of Monopoly. And as it turns out, Monopoly and spies during World War II are very closely associated, you know, with each other. Who knows why? He's been on a few times telling us about it, and it's the, the third installment. Um, Top Hat, a spy who actually um, betrayed England, I guess, but he was just so um, <clears throat> arrogant that he wanted to be known as Top Hat. Over it, the uh, Monopoly piece? Yes, right, and that's how they caught him. Anyway, yeah, so Phil Orbe will be coming up, and also Jim Frankel, our good friend from the publishing world, is going to be joining us. So it uh, should be a lot of fun. And Coco, you're going to be giving us a special report on uh, the, the latest in secret weapons? Um, something like that. Okay, look stunned there for a minute. Okay, Something old, right. something new. Sounds good. Tonight. Something hey, old, something new. Really? Okay, listen, why don't we salute him? We haven't saluted him in a long time, and I'm kind of getting the vibe that we should. Okay, you ready then? I'm way out of practice. Okay. Oh, no, it's okay. okay. No, it's okay. My Tell lawyers will be talking to your Tell lawyers. That, that, that's that's what we're long, to, that, that boat is long since sailed. We're trying to avoid that. Okay, JJ, call it off, please. I'm going to sink that boat. Go. <laughs> you ready? Ten, hut. Wow. Okay. Yeah. All right. Switchy. Little. No, he didn't like it. He didn't like it. No. Okay. We're out of practice. We're good bad. Listen. Why don't we just uh, talk about Switchy? If, if, if I did a salute like that in boot camp, I'd be asmoed back a week. Right? Isn't that the right word for it? Is that the word? Asmo. I think. I don't know. No, I think they just call it slotting now. But. <laughs> okay. It's another language. Sounds like Klingon. All right. Let's just get this out of the way. I don't want to say that, but it's a ratings and bonanza. Switchy. You ready? Yes. Okay. Looks like a bowl of cereal behind him. But anyway, please tell America, what did you have? Tell the world, what did you have for breakfast this morning? Well, uh, this morning I had, see if I can get the right uh, thing here for the background, which the, of course, the audience can't see. Okay. Uh, can't find it. Well, you're keeping them in suspense. Well, uh, there it is. Okay. Oh. But what I had was a heating bowl. Sugar Frosted Flakes. There yes. you go. All right. You're, that's good to you're, hear. You're down, you live downwind from the place, right? Okay, go ahead. Uh, okay, go ahead. 2% milk? 2% milk? Yep. Black coffee. Black coffee. Okay, cool. Wow, huh? Okay. And, uh, you know, just I'm curious what you have for lunch. 
for lunch? <laughs> I'm going to guess it. it. A tuna fish sandwich. What'd you have for lunch? Did you go to Denny's or anything? Uh, let's see. I, oh, I had, uh, I had uh, uh, two hot dogs with uh, cheese on them. Yeah, there you go. Lonnie. Okay, Man, yeah. after your own hot You know, I'm thinking, like uh, Sir Mac, that maybe what we need to do is expand the universe of Distant Thunder Network go ahead. and have Switchy put together a diet plan. A diet book. Uh, How about a, a book? A real diet plan. Yes. yes. The switchy book. Di- there you go. The switchy diet. Yeah, go ahead. Idea, so like sure. hotcakes on Amazon. The switchy <laughs> diet. The switchy diet. Okay. Just <laughs> eat donuts all day. They're going to make a play like they get the Scars World diet. Hey, the Kellogg's would love him. Whatever What's happened it? to that guy? He died in jail. Yeah, he's, he's dead. Scarred, no, though. she killed him. He died shot? because yeah. his yeah. girlfriend his killed him. Yeah, right. His girlfriend shot him. What a great story! Right. But the gun just went off, and it kept going off, and it was a revolver. <laughs> she paused once to reload. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Listen. Wow. Speaking of that, how do we get on that stuff? I don't know. Uh, uh, Willie Club uh, security expert is with us tonight, and uh, as you know, Willie goes through anything that is sent to us uh, electronically or through the mail. Great scene, by the way, there. Mm-hmm. And uh, most of the time that he gets the physical uh, boxes of it, he has to submerge them for 30 days to make sure everything is copacetic inside. But I think tonight we have fan mail. Is that uh, true, Mr. Club? Uh, yeah, Mac. You know, as you know, we've had trouble with the tank that we use to submerge them in. So <laughs> lack, I've, lack uh, of haven't water. been able to find a, another tank big enough. <laughs> big enough. It's a size stuff. problem. So it's all just sitting out back. So, okay. yeah, tonight I'm just going to share a few uh, Emails, you know, okay. we, as you know, we get so much positive email that I thought tonight I'd give a, a sort of a combination of okay. examples of not only the good stuff, but some of the other stuff sure. we get. And so the, that sure, you know, our both. listeners yeah. will, will, you know, understand that we, we get both sides of it. The yin and yang. Right. So um, what I'd like to do, I'll, okay. I just wanted to let you know, I know, Mac, I didn't give you a heads up on this beforehand because I know you like things to stay happy, but I think once in a while. We got to share different uh, okay. opinions. All right, I'll take your word for it. Go ahead. All right. Well, let's start off with uh, this one is uh, Hey Mac. That was an interesting show you guys did on appearances of the Blessed Virgin Mary, mm-hmm. but you forgot to include the apparition of the Virgin Mary to Polly Walnuts at the Bada Bing Strip Club. Yeah. Remember that episode? Uh, I don't. I don't. <laughs> oh yeah, who who wrote that letter? I jumped right on it. Who wrote that letter there, Club? Yeah, that was Juan Juan's Uncle Vinny. He's over at the Boston oh, Cabin. Oh, <laughs> Uncle Vinny, yeah. The only Thanks cab driver has a super yacht. Uh, so, um, that, was, that, that was my Uncle Joe. Uh, Uncle Joe, I'm sorry. Was he Vinny's brother? Did they call him Vinny ever? Actually, they were cousins, I think. I well, know. he wrote in here Vinny. Was he got two names? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they're cousins. Who knows? But The Sopranos was one of the best shows ever, and I saw it on reruns, but you know, you could have very easily taken a, a laugh track and put it on there, and mm-hmm. it would have fit, because right. some of the stuff is just so funny. It's weird that it's it was, about the mob. So anyway, okay. Next, uh, next fan letter. Please. Comedy about the mob. The comedy, yeah, right. And comedy about a Nazi concentration camp. There you go. How do you pitch them? <laughs> next one, please. Next hey, fan letter. Hey boss, I got this idea. You see, this is concentration camp. <laughs> All right. Well, our next letter All tells right. me here. Let me start by saying that I download your podcast every week. Great. That said, Mm-mm. how many times do you have to introduce the panel? I already skipped the first 15 minutes. (laughs) (laughs) That I may increase up to 20 minutes. Up to 20. There you go. But can't avoid the Ray, 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 Ray introductions for each segment. Your two-hour show would wind up being 
45 minutes as a result. Guys got a point. Okay. Best regard, Teddy Coco's gilding hot. Oh. He does have the speakers in the stall. And is that true? You have the speakers still in the stable there, Coco? That is correct. They uh, they enjoy their Wi-Fi. Teddy. Teddy. Should we emphasize that they said they love switching? Oh, that's right. They did say love switch. You and Teddy. Did you guys meet? Did you meet when you're wrestling? Yeah. Next one, please. Club Mouth Security. Willie Club. Well, Mr. Maloney, thanks for an actual military X-Files show complete with Steve Ward report instead of the usual juvenile, dirty old man <laughs> dribble. Let's hope that continues. Yikes. Kind Mothman. <laughs> oh, wait. Does he want it to continue? Is it time? <laughs> Mothman. Mothman says, is... Yeah. Your friend, Mothman. There you go. Oh, good. Yeah. Yeah, he's the coolest personal friend. Do you have a postmark on that? <laughs> Switch uh, your convention with Mothman. Do you have a postmark on that? I'm just curious no. where he... Yeah, you know, it's got a postmark. It, it looks like something in uh, Pennsylvania. There you go. That's perfect. He's on vacation. Jill, are you still with us? I think Jill left us a long time ago. No, I'm here. I'm oh, here. I'm just muted because I have some background distractions I don't want everyone to hear. Oh, no, okay. really? Please, bring them in. Save the show. Here, Keep the mic on. It can only help. Uh, All right, cool. Hey, everybody shut up. I want to hear what Jill's background <laughs> yeah, let's, voices are. Let's listen. Um, it's, it's, it's my dog. Oh, <laughs> man. I love dogs. Yeah, we all love dogs. I have toxins. Okay. Yeah, she apparently has a lot to say. Oh, really? Yeah. What kind of dog? Not that we have to kill six minutes. <laughs> what kind of dog? She is a mini pincher chihuahua mix. Oh, wow. okay. Yeah. All right. Nice. Little 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 girl. Where do you put yeah. the batteries? Be nice. Chihu- oh, okay. Chihuahuas, chihuahuas are the cutest things. I know. Sorry. Okay. Why don't we get back to She's okay. whip smart. Mm, good. Okay. That's good. They're all are. Smarter than doxins. Willie Club, our security uh, <laughs> agent, is now reading our fan letters. Um, thank you for uh, going the other way, if you know what I mean there, <laughs> for, for giving us the yang instead of the yin. No, but it was in a polite way. We, right. We can only be I'm educated by it, by hearing the Nobody's negative. being mean. Not yet. No, and, and I still consider them fans. Okay. I think they're critiques. You know, in, in, yep. my, in my position, I have to look at it right. a little bit different than... And you would, Mac. Okay. I have to be more open. Okay. All right. Go ahead, please. We can take it. I think. Well, I got another one here. It says, hey, Mac, really, who gives an F what Switch had for breakfast? Wow. Come on. (laughs) Jesus Christ. I believe that one, too. (laughs) They only read them as they they come in. Obviously, no appreciation for art right now. Absolutely not. Who wrote that? Well, it's some of us. Looks like he does cleanup work at Sweetwater Donuts. Oh, really? Yeah, he's the guy. <laughs> <laughs> a little jealousy there, showbiz. Okay. All right. Uh, I guess we'll go to the next one. Yeah, I'll do one more, Mac. I okay. know time is. Uh, it's the so final letter. I'll okay. uh, right. cover this and they uh, say, "Dear Mac, I can do without the sophomore comments from your female guests. I know that cancel culture is a thing, but I don't know how you avoid." Sex abuse lawsuits. That said, I won't even delve into page two. Your man love for one one. Wow. Which wow. I can also do without. Oh, Jesus. Holy moly. Who wrote that? I hate to well, tell you. Can, can I make a quick uh, remark? Yeah, sure. Yeah. Yes. 
I can tell you why we don't have any sexual abuse situations because there's no one's been sexually abused. Oh. Sexual harassment, I believe, is what the writer was possibly oh, interested in. All right. Yeah. Yes. He's our Good lawyer. Well, let's, just get our, let's get our felonies straight. and our misdemeanors straight, right. okay? <laughs> Good for you, Coco. Uh, please, uh, well, uh, you know, uh, as I say, I'm only, uh, you know, I'm, don't shoot the message. Yeah, you're the reporter. You, you look it. like Whitey. Oh, you look like Whitey, buddy, and you're talking felonies, yeah. okay? You know what's coming hey, up. How you doing? Yeah. <laughs> uh, who wrote well, that? Anyway, the, I think the important thing, thing about this, Mac, not working. is uh, this says, love mom. Oh, wow, mom, send yeah, me. But she, <laughs> <laughs> she has a PS there, kisses to Coco. Kisses to Coco, Always wow. kisses to Coco. I'm sick of it. All right, thank you, Mom. I always do well with mothers. Yeah, really? Yeah? Okay, that's another, <laughs> yeah. that's another show. Thank you. Back uh, in the dating game days? Oh, okay. Absolutely. Always good charm to mothers. TMI there, Coco. So why don't we do this? Should we take a break? Yeah. <laughs> Looking at the uh, one like he should know. Uh, why don't we do that? Why don't we take a break now? And we'll be right back after this. You're listening to Mac Maloney's Military Express Show here on the Distant Thunder Radio Network. Everybody is here, and we'll be right back after uh, this. UFOs are found in Renaissance art, on ancient coins, and etched on cave walls. They're even reported in the Bible. But more surprising is when UFOs are seen the most in times of war. Through centuries, thousands of UFO sightings have been made by high-ranking officials, military pilots, and ordinary soldiers. Often, these fantastic appearances occur at the height of great battles. From World War I to D-Day to Korea, Vietnam, and beyond, military investigators are baffled. Why do UFO sightings spike so drastically during wartime? Could it be mistaken aircraft? Or is someone, or something, looking in on us? In UFOs in wartime, what they didn't want you to know, Mac Maloney chronicles centuries of these incredible sightings and tries to solve the puzzle of why so many UFOs are seen while humanity is at war. Read about the scare ships, the ghost planes, and the ghost rockets, alien giants in the jungles of Vietnam, UFOs controlling our ICBM bases, dogfights with flying saucers during the Gulf War, and more. 300 pages of unbelievable stories, along with many startling photographs. That's UFOs in Wartime, What They Didn't Want You to Know, by Mac Maloney. On sale at your local bookstore or on Amazon.com. Welcome back, everyone, to Mac Maloney's Military Exile Show here on the Distant Thunder Radio Network. This is Mac Maloney. What a show we have for you tonight. But let me first quickly re-reintroduce the members of the posse. First, girls, you've been pre-warned. The very famous one one is here. Hello, Mac. Hello, girls and guys and uh, all those ships at sea. Can we invent a new word? It would be pre-warned. Yeah, or I'm the only one here. Well, P-R-E-J-U-A-N. Oh, you mean spell it weird? No. Yeah. No. Yeah, pre-wanting? No. Nah, I like it. I, I okay. think I'm, I like Juan Valdez, the, the coffee st- guy. Did he ever change his name? Do you still get mad when people write to you and it's W-A-N, W-A-N? Yeah, a, no, I, it just, it happens. That's win win What is it? It's better than being called Jane. Jane, okay, that's all right. There you go, yeah. kids. That was happening in school. Really? Uh, Jane Paredes, please. <laughs> really? On the mean streets of Chelmsford? Yeah. Anyway. Speaking about the mean streets, let's go up to Maine, where there's soon to be white mean streets, apparently. Manicobra, how you doing? 
Alien gentlemen, as always, great to join the formation. Get on the wing. Mm-hmm. Chicken wing. Okay. Protect the six of the show, so to speak. Oh, oh okay. What was that? Yeah, no, no, we don't know. <laughs> the Cobra talk again. Loyal wingman. Well, I guess it's more of that code stuff. Code, good. Yeah. We need more of that. For that very uh, secret, silent group of Mac Maloney's Military X Files listeners that listen for the magic code words from me. Hmm. Okay. All yeah, right. My, my Dakota ring doesn't work as good as you guys. I'm going to get a new one or I lost my batteries or something. Uh, speaking of code, that's the only Kuzinta I can think of up there in Battle Creek, Michigan. The Battle Creek of the Republic. A big bowl of frosted flakes into the dash. National correspondent switchblade, Steve Ward. It is uh, wonderful to be here with all of you tonight. Mm-hmm. Okay. Good to see you, Switch. <laughs> I suppose now is the time, very quickly, just to uh, ask you about the the background. You usually have some kind of gruesome science fiction thing happening, but you have, uh, looks like, uh, puffies. Well, it, that, that way uh, people will think I'm a nice guy. Okay, go ahead. Good disguise. Disinformation. Are those your the puppies? Chicks, yeah, I feel the like there is. Yeah. Oh, he must chicks be. dig it. Chicks oh. dig it. Okay, chicks dig it. That's all it's you need to handle. Wow. Listen, our security chief is here tonight, so we have to kind of watch ourselves. Uh, Willie Club down there in uh, beautiful Methuen, Massachusetts. Willie, how are you doing? Oh, hi, Mac. Hi, folks. Doing great. Mac, uh, while we're talking about security, just want to let you know I got a directive today. Yes. Since we do use Zoom, that we're all required to keep our hands above the table. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. I heard sure about that. Well, okay. All right. Damn. Is that because yeah. you don't Does want that us to apply equally to me? <laughs> uh, What's yes, that, Joe? All folks. <laughs> okay. All right. I wasn't sure if there was a, yeah. We're still not sure. But anyway, thank you, Willie. Yeah, the Zoom police will be checking but in. But the Z, the Z police. Uh, <clears throat> the voice you heard. The voice of an angel, as our good friend, Jill Hansen, the psychic. Jill, how are you doing? Hi, Jill. <laughs> doing great, Mac. Yeah? Yeah, very glad to be here with you guys once again. Where are your hands, Jill? Um, I'm petting my cat. Well, see. Oh my God. <laughs> Literally <laughs> petting my cat. <laughs> I, I win a prize for that. That's unacceptable. Wow. It's like Johnny Carson <laughs> with Raquel Welch. Right. I have... I, 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 Wow. I, think, uh, I think it was Josh Gabor. Raquel Welch, you want to put money on it? <laughs> yes. Yeah, yes. Well, Fine, uh, look it up. Well, you guys talk about Fine, the vet. You guys caught me. You got me. I'm just thinking. Me, my cat. There's our blooper of the month. Thank you. <laughs> Did you uh, flag that tape? I, there's a million you know questions. What? Jill's going to be getting letters now. I was going to say there's a million questions going <laughs> through my head. Way. But I get none for myself. So. No. Uh, listen. Uh, trying to uh, bring us back down to earth as our good friend Phil Abanes is joining us. Phil, how are you doing tonight, Phil? Uh, excellent. Okay, okay. Glad to be here. Phil is an expert in many, many things. He's the world's expert in Monopoly, for one thing. Um, he is the founder, creator, owner of Winning Moves. Um, they produce, they manufacture a number of games, including um, Risk, um, certain forms of Monopoly, Ouija boards. What else, Phil? Blue, sorry, big boggle, and we also make the Rubik's cube. You make the Rubik's cube, oh, the insane Rubik's cube. Yeah. No, we we sell. It's not made by us directly, but mm-hmm. yeah. we mm-hmm. have the marketing rights in North America for nice. specialty retailing. Mm. Um, Phil was nice enough. Do you guys to... have Slinky too? Slinky. It would be great to have Slinky. Slinky, wouldn't it? I can't. That was invented by that, that. That was invented by an engineer working for the Navy after World War II. I believe, wow, I believe it. I believe it. What the hell was he trying to invent? Was he in the, in the spring business or something, yeah, or right. what? He, he, he was doing something with gyroscopes. Hmm. 
Hmm. Wow. It is so cool and slicky. Well, um, it's kind of a you know a one-way toy to me, but it's just really you know one-way yeah. toy. Yeah. We all have some fun with it for yeah. a little while, but, right. but they don't go back up the stairs themselves. Right. If they can have it go up the stairs, then they got something. It assumed you lived in a house that had stairs at a second floor, you know, and what you have an elevator. Fortunately, we did. <laughs> you have a dirt floor, right? Wow. Uh, listen. <laughs> We move on. I lived in a three-story house in Cambridge, so don't give me any crap. Cambridge. Anyway, so Phil, uh, as it turns out that um, we've been talking for the past couple months, you've um, joined us a few times talking about how Monopoly actually had, you know, not a little, but a lot to do with espionage and so on and so forth during World War II, right? That is correct, sir. Okay. So tonight you're going to tell us about the worst traitor to um, the British cause in World War II? Was he British? Absolutely. Okay. So he was British. Phil O'Bain's about how Monopoly, the game Monopoly, had a big effect on spies during World War II. Phil, thanks. Okay. Well, in the first two segments, we talked about how Monopoly was used to smuggle escape aids to POWs under the eyes of the German censors in World War II. The Germans never caught on. It worked brilliantly. Uh, we also talked about how the Monopoly game board was used brilliantly uh, to compose a secret code uh, that <clears throat> permitted two bridge masters to uh, communicate back and forth with a dissident KGB agent in Moscow. And tonight, we're going to turn our attention to the worst British turncoat of World War II. Uh, it's amazing to me that he is not better known because Harold Cole could easily fill a James Bond novel. Uh, as a matter of fact, his story is so breathtaking it occupies four chapters in my forthcoming book, Monopoly X. And I'm going to try to highlight um, his exploits in the next 35 minutes Sounds or so. good. As I mentioned, Harold Cole was undoubtedly the worst traitor of the war. Uh, he looms large in the story of Monopoly X because he just happened to be an avid Monopoly player who fancied himself as the game's top hat, you know, the top hat token. Uh, it seems that Cole always aspired to be seen as well-heeled and upper-class, but in fact, he was born into a uh, broken home in a hard-scrabble Cockney neighborhood of London, and beginning in his teens after he conveniently dropped out of school, he started to pool con jobs. Uh, usually among the wealthy, he figured if they had money, uh, it was just a matter of uh, him persuading them to part with it. Uh, it didn't always work, and he ended up in jail several times before suddenly he shows up in a recruitment line for the Royal Engineers in late 1939 with war looming. He was 33 years old at the time, and that meant he was a lot more experienced in life than a lot of the kids out of, you know, the equivalent of high school who were joining. Uh, why did he join the Army? Well, it seemed he wanted redemption. I mean, by then, you know, he had uh, quite a reputation. And incidentally, he made sure to get very far from London when he signed up. So the Royal Engineers were up Newark more in the Midlands, and they didn't know him up there. Uh, by then, he was an accomplished operator. Uh, he easily won the affection of women and the admiration of unsuspecting men. And what did he look like? Well, Cole was tall, slender, ginger-haired, had a high forehead, beady-eyed, and he wore a thin mustache. But Women fell for him because he could really work his charm, and they liked his hungry, lean appearance. And that'll come into our story a little bit later. So the following year, the British Expeditionary Force is shipped to Lille. And by then, Cole, who can ingratiate himself to authority, has moved right up to the rank of sergeant. 
And now let's fast forward to the uh, German blitzkrieg to get into the uh, heart of the action. So we all know about the evacuation at Dunkirk and about 400,000 British and French soldiers were rescued, but the rear guard of the British expeditionary force had to be left behind. And surrender seemed uh, inevitable for these 40,000 men, one of whom was Harold Cole, who had been locked up in a military jail for robbing the sergeant's mess fund. So he couldn't restrain himself. But they set him loose during the retreat, and he was among 2,000 British warriors who took the ground and eluded the Germans. And the reason they were able to do this is because they had been billeted by French families in northern France prior to the German blitzkrieg. And for the most part, they went back to these families who hid them. Now, Cole's story at this point is best told in five unfolding phases in which he's going to go from saint to sinner to infamous legend. So phase one, he's a hero. So while he is gone to ground and hiding and the German infantry is pouring past northern France every day to catch up with the armor, he becomes aware that he's not alone, that there's hundreds of fellow officers stranded in the same town, which is Lille. And um, these soldiers felt, you know, it's just a matter of a few months, perhaps, before the war is over. So maybe they can hunker down and hide. You know, how long could it take? Well, uh, the short way across the channel was out of the question. And those who decided they didn't want to hunker down had only one other choice. And that was somehow to get from northern France to Paris and then make it down to the French southern seacoast uh, in Vichy, France. Uh, Germany very quickly won the Blitz. France surrendered. And the entire country of France was divided into, in effect, four zones, one of which was the forbidden zone along the coast, uh, which made it pretty darn difficult to try to escape by boat. Uh, the free zone in southern France, also known as Vichy France, because that's where the seat of government was in the town of Vichy, about 250 miles south of Paris, uh, you had a better chance there, even though the French leaders in that zone aligned with the Germans. So. Cole was inspired by a great war widow who every day would lead three or four stranded soldiers disguised as civilians uh, to the train station in Lille, send them down to Paris where friends picked them up and took them to Marseille. In Marseille, there was an escape line that would then escort them to Spain. Uh, German security had not yet caught up with the, the um, conquest. So for a while, it wasn't difficult at all to make your way through uh, German lines to get down to France. But by August, the you know, ever-efficient German security force has pretty much come to uh, set up control. And they are uh, very much on the lookout for evaders and escapers. An evader, by the way, is someone who is on the ground and is trying to get uh, home. An escaper is someone who's managed to get out of a prison camp and is trying to get home. Well, Cole, being 33 years old and having this marvelous, uh, if you will, appropriate con job experience, his criminal experience, uh, he finds that he is pretty good at evading the Germans. And so the first phase of Cole's existence, he's a hero. He, every two weeks, he brings 10 to 14 soldiers to Paris. And then he goes back to Lille, France, and he does it again and again. But by, um, say the third or fourth time he does it, he feels that he can take the, uh, his uh, charges with him all the way to Marseille. And when he does it, he comes to the attention of the big escape line 
centered in Marseille called the Garrow Line, named after a Scottish uh, officer named Ian Garrow who was organized it. And uh, uh, Garrow learns that not only is there this brave hero, this, this captain, uh, Paul Cole is now his name, or at least the name he's going by, mm -hmm. but his helpers revere him for his bravado and his smoothness. Mm -hmm. And uh, one of them actually goes into a field and takes the top hat off of a scarecrow and presents it to him as a tribute because they know Cole likes to be called the top hat. Well, as the British soldiers in Lille are gradually taken down the Marseille, they are replaced by down British flyers shot down in the Battle of Britain. And now I'm going to give you a couple of incidents to show you just how Cole operated during his so-called hero phase. So one Spitfire pilot, he's a first lieutenant named Dennis Crowley Miller, he's, and he used his control uh, column very adeptly to bring his uh, powerless plane out of a dive after it was hit. Mm -hmm. He slides across an open field, he's uh, preserved, uh, and he follows the advice that he was given by MI9, and if you may remember from prior episodes, MI9 is British military you know, intelligence section nine, mm -hmm. responsible for evasion and escapes. And they can't tell the airmen the names of escape line helpers, that's too dangerous, mm -hmm. but they say, seek out farmhouses, go to churches, maybe a town doctor, they'll get you to an escape line. Well, Crowley Miller evades for a week, he's turned over to a blacksmith who takes him to meet Captain Paul Cole. And Cole, upon hearing Crowley Miller's tale of how he used his control top uh, column to save his life, he nicknames this guy Stick. Stick. And uh, Stick, Stick is now taken with a couple of others by Cole through Paris and on the Marseille. <laughs> and Stick realizes that Cole sticks out like a sore thumb. Boom. He's obviously British, given his manners, what he looks like, and his atrocious Cockney accent. Um, <laughs> and pronunciation of French, yes. which he glibly speaks in front of the Germans, but he's completely fearless. Okay. And uh, when they're on a train, for example, and Cole gets uh, hungry, he, um, he takes a stick to the dining car. They get seated across from two German officers mm -hmm. who don't really seem to pay much attention. Uh, Cole summons the waiter in his atrocious French, but lo and behold, he gets stick to Marseille, and he is just absolutely amazed by this guy's aplomb. Mm. My favorite story, though, comes about the following July when he's escorting a down squadron leader named Higginson to Marseille. And um, Higginson, by the way, was a bona fide hero. He had shot down 13 German aircraft. Mm. And Cole had a lot of good contacts in Lille to get forged documents. So from a priest named Carpentier, he gets documents for Higginson saying, this man has an unsound mind and cannot function. So oh, as they are approaching the division between German-occupied northern France, and they have to go through security, uh, they're stopped. And Cole presents Higginson's forged papers. And he's told Higginson, who's carrying a briefcase, by the way, uh, whatever you do, just don't say anything, because you're supposed to be dumb. So the um, security guard looks at the uh, papers and says, you know, I've seen a lot of very healthy English-looking characters of late claiming to be uh, not of sound mind and dumb. Hmm. I want to see what's in this man's briefcase. Cole, meanwhile, has got his own briefcase, which they're not questioning, which, by the way, happens to have stolen Wehrmacht war plans in it. But they <laughs> just put that aside. Wow. And he asked, you know, Cole, open this guy's briefcase. I want to see what he's carrying. Well, it's a hot summer day. It's summertime. Well, what does Higginson got inside? 
On the very bottom of his cape, he has his escape kits and all his British papers. Mm -hmm. On top of that, he's got his clothes. And on top of his clothes, he has a big slab of chocolate. So when Cole dutifully opens the briefcase, they notice the chocolate has melted. <laughs> and Cole immediately works a con. He says, see, see what I told you? This man has shat in his briefcase. I told you he was out of his mind. <laughs> and the German repels, winces in disgust and says, get out of here. And so on they go. Wow. It's so the old melted chocolate the, trick. <laughs> this is where the cold and con, yeah, this is where the cold and con actually worked. But unfortunately, Cole had two demons, mm -hmm. women and money. And it was just oh. a matter of time before his demons rear up and uh, he goes from saint to sinner. Okay, so why don't we wait for the punchline? We'll take a uh, commercial break now and we'll be right back after this. And you're listening to Mac Maloney's Military Exile Show here on the Distant Thunder Radio Network. We'll be right back. Who's flying ghost airplanes over the city of Los Angeles? Why are the Northern Lights appearing over America in the daytime? How can an entire fleet of warships suddenly disappear at sea? Find out in Matt Maloney's new book, Battle of the Wingmen, number 20 in the best-selling Wingman series. Follow the adventures of Hawk Hunter as he and his friends sail the world's largest aircraft carrier into the vast unknown. Can Hawk save America from an attack by a mysterious Asian army? Who is the mysterious redhead haunting his dreams? And who will win the dogfight of the century? Who is the best fighter pilot in the world? Who really is Top Gun? Find out in Wingman number 20, Battle of the Wingmen by Macaloni. On sale now on Amazon and at bookstores everywhere. And I just kept going on and on about myself. I'm taking a leak in the driveway. Says, I know you'd like to talk to total stranger. The story's got nothing to do with the Bruins game. It's what happened with Grandma. Well, I was wondering if those were sadomasochism straps or something. <laughs> but I digress uh, from what I don't know. Get into the beautiful mind of Juan Juan, only on the Matt Maloney Military X-Files show. Hi everyone, to Mac Maloney's Mill Drank Sound Show here on the Distant Thunder Radio Network. This is Mac Maloney. Wow, what a show. We are in the middle of, so let me very quickly introduce everyone here at the party. Girls very famous, one one is here. Hello, Mac. How's it going? Good time so far. The equally famous Commander Cobra is here. On the wing, Mac. Uh -huh. The chicken wing. Uh, Steve yeah, he never runs out of fuel either. Our national correspondent up there at Tuttle Creek is with us switching. I'm on the ground, uh, and it's great to be here. He's on the ground. The bowl of flakes and go. the, the most famous go? governor of all time. There you go. A security <laughs> club, Whitey Bulger. I mean, uh, Willie Club <laughs> is with us. Willie, how are you doing? Yes, sir. Okay. Great, folks. It's uh, big, another big night tonight. There's oh. so much going on. Maybe that fan he's, had... He's been funny so far. Maybe the fan has uh, had a point there. But anyway, our favorite psychic down in Austin, Texas, the coolest city in Texas. It is wicked cool. Jill Hansen. Jill, how are you? Hey, everybody. Glad to be here. Hey, Jill. Hey, did they have the... What's the psychic stuff? The I don't know. I don't know. I just said, yeah, you're not a psychic. Do you know something about me that I'm not quite into? Well, then I'd be a psychic. Jill, did they have the Stevie Ray Vaughan celebration down there uh, already, or is that still coming up? Stevie Ray Vaughan. Famous I haven't player. heard of it yet. I've only been here since May. Okay. So okay. Right. And, Taking a while to and settle I'm in. admittedly, 
not really looking to go to any music, anything yet. No, so why would we do that? I haven't heard anything. Uh, let me introduce, let me go down the Hollywood Squares here. Phil Orbanes. Phil, down a beautiful magnolia Hello, mass man. right there in the water. Yeah. Nice. Okay, Phil is the... Um, it's a great guy. area. Yeah. Owner, creator of Winning Moves, makes all your classic board games like Risk, um, Monopoly. Uh, they also sell the Rubik's Cube. Uh, Phil was nice enough to send a box, a care package of his stuff, which we will divi divide up at one point. Oh, we will? But he yeah. sent me a Rubik's Cube, and I looked at it, and I said, I, I don't have the patience to be frustrated. You know what I mean? <laughs> that thing drove me crazy. Shocking to, that kid. Shocking to hear that. There's kids out there that can do it in five <laughs> seconds. I mean, maybe less. Who knows? Screw those other kids. Hey, listen. <laughs> let's get to You kind of wonder what's in their brain that, that allows them to do that. I don't uh -huh. know about that. Um, let's introduce uh, someone who uh, just came on the wing, speaking about the wing. Jim Franco out there in Arizona, my editor, my former editor. Are you always an editor? Like winning the gold glove? Do you always have the gold glove? Are you well, always I'm someone's an, editor? An, ag an agent and an agent. A an agent, an too. You know, I didn't want I, still, I edit for clients sometimes mm -hmm. when they want it or need it. Yes. You know, we found that out. Or both. <laughs> um, about 10 years ago. I'm still cold from coming in from the outside in here in Arizona where <laughs> it's suddenly... 30 degrees, 40 degrees colder than it was. Really? That's insane. So was it down to 60? Yeah, it's down to the yeah, 67. Right. It's down to, last night it was down to 36. Wow, wow Arizona. Wow. Wow. There must be something it's to that crazy. global warming. It's like Michigan. A long well, time in ago. in the desert. There you go. 10 years it's ago. And it's like 60 degrees right now. Jim and I did a uh, series together called The Pirate Hunters. The Pirate Hunters. And we, um, for about three years, there was this, this shared adventure together. Oh, really? Do we need to go there? Well, I used to have a voodoo doll with Jim's picture on it, <laughs> and I would put unbelievably big pins in there. I wondered why my hip would hurt that was know, it. occasionally. Uh, that was it. That was me. I had it, Pirate Hunter post uh, patches all over yeah. the uh, mid-east when that series came out. So it turned out yes. we had a lot of we fans around the patches. world. Right. I have one on my jacket. Thanks for joining us tonight. We really appreciate it. So, um, Jill, is there such a thing as voodoo dolls? You would know. Absolutely. Mm. Really? Yeah, mm. for sure. It's a real thing. Hey, all that time wasn't wasted. Wow. I mean, I've seen it, heard of it. Are you surprised? Kind of. I always thought it was. He's surprised every time he walked right. into a room. Right. You thought it was just a movie thing? I, no, I, I heard it was part of uh, lots, lots of uh, cultures, but you know, I, I never really believed that there was any science behind it, or or non-science, if you will. It just kind of. You know, a religious thing. You surprised from the train? Oh, the sound of a shovel when you're digging a hole. Uh, here we come, right? Nonsense. So, Phil is uh, telling us tonight about the Top Hat affair, uh, Britain's uh, worst trader during World War II, and it's all connected to uh, the game Monopoly. And your book is coming out soon. It's called Monopoly X. Is that right, Phil? That's all correct. Thank you. Okay. Now, so what we're talking about is this: um, the gentleman's name who was the worst. A trader to England. His last name is Cole. Right, and his first name officially is Harold, but by this point in the war, uh, he's going by Paul, okay. and he has self-promoted himself from a sergeant to a captain. Uh, <laughs> he is a hero for about a year, yes. but then his two demons get the best of him, women and money, yes. and Cole realizes that it takes money to get a evader from belgium or northern france down to marseille you need bribes you need ticket money yes. you need money for disguises and he convinces the leaders of this escape line which is known as the pat o'leary line or the pat line for short okay to provide money to him to make these purchases meanwhile the northern end of the line is controlled by a guy named duprez who um 
he also convinces us to loan money to help him get these escapers down. Okay. Mm -hmm. And he promises each of these guys the other is going to make good. Okay. So he's burning the candle at both ends so he can entertain his women and pick up the tab for the drinks and have a great time. Wow. They get suspicious. They arrange a meeting. They talk to each other. They realize they've been had. They trap Cole in a hotel room, or pardon me, in an apartment mm -hmm. in Marseille, and they're about to decide if they should execute him or not when he manages, because he's skinny, to slip through <clears throat> a small window, and he's gone. Mm -hmm. so who's after Harold him? Cole who's after, who's after him? To escape. Who is after him? Well, the escape line, the, the leaders of the escape line who realized they'd been had by him okay. monetarily. And how did they get, I mean, how did they, but, how did they know they'd been had? Because he was borrowing money from the leaders from the north and oh, the I southern see. end, okay. promising that the other one was going to make good. Okay. Yeah. And after a while, the two Germans. guys independently got suspicious. Okay. They met. They realized they were being okay. Okay. Go ahead. Uh, and they also knew that, that Cole was was a kind of a questionable guy. Well, Cole is not only being sought after this point by the Pat line, who's been betrayed, but by the German Abwar. And the Abwar gets him. They get German him in Lille. They bring him in the headquarters, and they say to him very succinctly. Either you cooperate with us and turn and let us know who all these escape line members are that we can't find, or you're going to suffer a very cruel and slow death. <clears throat> well, in about 20 seconds, Cole writes down 30 pages of names. And before you know it, the entire northern end of the Pat line is decimated by his traitorism. Uh, he is then shipped to Paris, where he does the same thing to the center of the line. But here, he has a loyal girlfriend who he eventually marries. He also has the uh, assistance of a proprietor of a restaurant uh, not too far from Notre Dame, who doesn't know he's a traitor. And the two of them help him to actually just slip his noose, uh, or sl I slip the grasp, I should say, of the abwar. And now he and his girlfriend get married, go on the run. They end up in Lyon, where, of all things, the Vichy police capture him and sentence him. Uh, the, the girlfriend, who's now pregnant and married, she kind of disappears from our story after uh, this. But as it turns out, the arrest and the trial were just a sham. He's sent back to Lille and then eventually to Paris to work for the SD, which is the security arm of the SS, because mm -hmm. the Germans just think there's nobody like him. He's much too valuable. We got to hold on to him. Cole avoids execution attempts by the British, which I outlined very uh, completely in my book. But the most important thing is that the top hat has turned against his own government. He's wreaked havoc on the escape lines and he is holed up in Paris when the invasion begins at D-Day. Mm. And now the SS uh, has got to evacuate Paris. They've got to go back across the German border. And they have with them a number of British captives, some of whom are wireless operators who managed to get a message off that mm -hmm. says, Cole is alive, he's on the run, he's with the SS, he's fleeing across the German border. The last time we saw him, he was heading, I should say, toward the German border. Mm -hmm. Well, now comes what, to me, is like the most astounding indication of what a con artist Cole is. He is now with uh, top SS leaders who are wanted for their atrocities. He is escorting them through southern Germany when they encounter the American army. Mm -hmm. Now, what would most people who are on the run and who are bad guys do at this point? They would flee, right? Not so. Cole. 
Cole walks up to the Americans with his SS guys in tow, although at this point they're in civilian garb, and introduces himself as a British Secret Service. Yeah. He <laughs> points out that he has with him innocent German police who he's supposed to uh, take to a... Uh, I think he's supposed to take them to Dachau or something, he says. Okay. And the Americans look at him and say, well, these guys are harmless, and they let him go. Wow. And they turn to Cole and they say, we need someone with your experience and expertise. Yes. Would you mind joining the American Army? He's commissioned <laughs> as a lieutenant. Wow. And his job it's in not southern Germany <laughs> is to hunt is to hunt down Nazis on the run. And, of course, Cole has heard all the stories about how they've hoarded money and buried it. Yep. So he is given weapons, a team, and they go hunting for Nazis, and he's siphoning off their gold. Wow. But that's how good this guy is until, until he makes the mistake of sending a postcard to one of his girlfriends see, in Paris, which gets intercepted. MI9 figures out that the guy who wrote the postcard under a code name is Cole. They send a team into southern Germany. They find him. There's a scuffle. Uh, they confront him, and they say, are you Harold Cole? And this imposter says, I'm not very proud of admitting it, but yes. Now he's sent back to Paris and imprisoned, and he's waiting execution. But here's the problem. Okay. The British, the French, the Americans, and the Belgium all want priority to get rid of this traitor their way. And during the months that he is incarcerated, he comes up with a scheme. He convinces his captors to let him borrow a typewriter and go to a particular office that has warmth so he can type his memoirs. Okay. One night, he just walks out with the typewriter. He purloins a top coat. He goes out the front door looking like a clerk. No one stops him. Mm. And now, once again, he's loose in Paris. By this time, the war's over. We're getting to the end of 45. What does he do? He finds out that there's plenty of contraband weapons for sale. He starts working cons, chipping American soldiers who are billeted in the area. And he goes to live with another lady friend in the top of a bar. What? Well, months go by and finally the french police realize that there's somebody living in the bar who only comes out at night and they think he is a german escaper mm -hmm. so they send two policemen there in uh, mid-1946 um, they go up the stairs in billy's bar as it's known Police. they confront cole there's a gun battle uh, cole is shot dead so they finally, and by the way, there's a lot more into it, but I'm just trying to do this in the interest of time. So they finally get the turncoat. And he's identified by, by the way, one of the people he had sent to Dachau when he, you know, mm. revealed all the names of the escape lines. One of the leaders had managed to survive, and he identifies the body. Cole was 16 days shy of his 40th birthday. Wow. But now comes the final twist. Go ahead. A correspondent for the Daily Mail shows up, and he, for some reason, take some sympathy for Cole. So he now writes the story with a romantic twist. He claims that Cole knew that the French police were closing in on him, but he was so attached to the woman who had taken him in, he says, I would like to stay here one more night and share a glass of champagne. Wow. I'm going to leave in the morning on a train to Belgium. The delay allegedly, according to the correspondent, cost Cole his life. And this reporter claims that the only reason why Cole did not survive the gunfight is because is because the woman that he loved so much was in the line of fire, and with gallantry he could not fire. So in one fell swoop, yes, the Daily Mail correspondent recast Cole as a cavalier, romantic, and chivalrous anti-hero. Um, 
But even this false polish, in my opinion, cannot penetrate the layers of the seed and betrayal that corroded the soul of Harold Cole, the top hat. There you go. Now, listen, isn't it funny? We have That'd an agent. movie. Wow. <clears throat> what do you think, like Jim? It. Jim, like good yeah. movie, good good Netflix. Good, yeah. good treatment, three parts, four parts at least. Well, it sound, sounds like it could be a real fun movie, you know. Mm. Absolutely. Right. I mean, what a what a what an adventure. Yeah, really. It's funny, and and, and the fact that he's a ladies' man, and then yeah, that's what brings it to an end. Is interesting. So, so that was his. So Phil is that that was his downfall. I mean, just, but what I don't get is what about his wife? Well, he had a number of. Oh, his. Don't I mean, uh, well, isn't it? Well, his knife was Warrington, and I didn't go into her story. Okay. Uh, because of time, how much time do we have? Well, I'm going to throw it to Coco because I know he has a couple questions. Yeah, but we got about 10 minutes. Go ahead, Coco. Oh, nothing as good as hearing about the wife. Right. Yeah, well, I, I want to hear that. The wife very quickly. Go ahead. So he, the wife never knows that he's a traitor until he's uh, uh, captured by the Vichy police, and they compel him to get on his knees and confess to her. Oh, wow. This poor woman is pregnant at the time. She flees to Marseille. She's given some money by the escape line. She gives birth to a son who dies because she is pretty much cold and abandoned. Wow. She eventually makes her way back to England where she was from. No one ever hears from her again. But here's a twist in the story. Okay. She had three aunts living in Paris, and every one of them was mesmerized by uh, Harold Cole. And one day, wow. he convinces all of them to stay away from their apartments because he claims he has to hide British airmen in her apartments before he gets them to a meeting point in Paris. Mm -hmm. They all dutifully comply, and while they're gone, he robs them blind. Oh, Anything wow. that's loose, he takes their money, the jewelry, everything. Oh, and that's what he lives on for the next several months, never telling wow. his wife. Wow. What a guy. Yeah, what a guy. Oh, man. What a guy. Okay, who do you cast for that role? <laughs> uh, let's see. Uh, he's got to be handsome, but he's got to be happy a some British. SOB in the back. Yeah. Um, yeah. Christian yeah. Bale. Christian Bale would yeah, be, be good at it. Good, that'd be good. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I, I think yeah, would yeah. Be perfect. Bale could dress up like Harold Cole. And by the way, when you see pictures of him wearing the top hat, you can just see how much he just felt that he was British upper class. Yeah, right. Yeah. Weird. And he's got the accent, He was too. cockney. And, uh, okay. Co Coco, please. At least one question. Well, you know, you, all of this surrounds on the Monopoly game, Phil. Yeah. Explain to everybody about the pieces, the iconic pieces, and how important in uh, how sought yeah, yeah. Uh, the top hat is as a player piece. Yeah. So the, the, the classic Monopoly game contains seven core pieces. They've changed more recently, but let's talk about the core game that existed for decades. Among those pieces, the race car, the Scotty dog, and the top hat are the three most cherished tokens. Monopoly players tend to cling to one token and they always want it if possible when playing a game in one of my prior books called monopoly money and you i actually conducted a large poll among thousands of monopoly players to find out uh, what tokens they like the best and what qualities they associate with themselves and the tokens and believe it or not not that i can tell you this right now because the research is not in front of me but every token has a personality attached and uh so the top hat is is you know is really loved by people who, who want to adopt an air of elegance, mm. uh, who have a sense of, uh, you know, uh, refinement, uh, or at least would like to be viewed as refined. And that certainly summed up Harold Cole. Wow. Yikes. Sounds like I've only played Monopoly once. You know that, Phil. Oh, you have played it once now? Yes, You're once. You're once? <laughs> right. I watched a couple games, and I did play <laughs> once. Right. I lost. I'm, 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 I am very I got Beatles Monopoly. I used to play Monopoly all summer long with my best friend. Really? Yeah. See, I we'd have really long games. 
Jill, did you play Monopoly? Yeah, I love that. You, <laughs> you know, you got to have the Me? hotels. You, you win by getting all those hotels. Right. Well, yeah. yeah. Yeah, sure. you, the, the strategy generally is to get hotels on either the oranges or the reds because they're landed on a lot, they're reasonable, they, they yield good returns, mm -hmm. and players land on them often. Why? Because they have to go back to jail and then pass those properties. Wow. So okay. I've, judged, I've judged dozens of world and U.S. championships, and generally speaking, one of those two groups wins the game. Really? Yeah? Okay. Well, you've judged championship Monopoly games? Yes. He's the world's Yeah, I've been doing that yeah, since wow. 1980. It, wow. it, Jill, have I've you played? Been partial to Mar Marvin Gardens. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, I grew up playing um, four six-hour games, really? and yeah. I just recently I have two boys, yeah, ages nine and eleven, and um, we They're, just kind of started playing probably about four or five months ago. I taught them the game, and they into it. Wow. We dive in. I need yeah. someone to teach me. Yeah, it's it's an intelligent game. Yes. You know, it, it takes intelligence. It takes it makes you think. I, right. I enjoy that and about also, it. And also, it's negotiating. That's, and, yes. and for yes. young for young children, this is the first exposure they get to the art of negotiating and how important it is to be able to work with other human beings. <laughs> and a really good negotiator learns you want a slight advantage because if you get mm -hmm. a big mm -hmm. advantage, you are uh, you're uh, the one who you you've taken advantage of. You'll never forget it, and wow. they never want to deal with you again. So slight that, advantage. That, is that explains watching my sons. Yes, it does. Donald Trump played Monopoly once. Lost and and threw the game out. That's me. Well, it can be frustrating. I mean, it it you can get really emotionally involved. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, yeah. uh, speaking of emotionally involved, Phil, why don't you uh, retell the story about how you were playing Risk with your wife and? Oh, oh gosh. Yes, I, I'm very fortunate that since that time I've had 30 good years of marriage. Okay. <laughs> my wife, my wife never played Risk, and of course it would typically women don't play Risk, but she never played it when she was younger. And one day. I guess we were been married about 15 years and we were with some friends and we all decided to play risk. I explained the game to her and while we're playing, I made a deal. I said, look, let's work together as, on, you know, let's have an alliance, let's defeat, you know, whoever it was that was, you know, uh, annoying us. And the moment we finished eliminating that player, I broke the alliance with my wife and attacked her, oh. and she was absolutely stunned. Is this the way you treat people in business? Is this what you do every day for a living? You know, how can I ever trust you again? And I said, please, dear, this is not anything, you know, like what I do in business, because it wouldn't work. I would be ruined if I did this, but it's a game, and it's okay mm -hmm. to break an alliance. Wow. Well, we've never played again, and we patched up the marriage. Oh, so. Okay. <laughs> Sounds like two good points. Good. Yeah, right, good for you. Yikes. Yeah, do I so do I have a couple of minutes just to talk about yes. one other topic before yes, you should we wrap up? Yep. Okay. So uh, in addition to my life here in the world of Monopoly and researching for the last 30 some years, the breathtaking, if you will, story of Monopoly's secret role in World War II. I also have an interest in science and astronomy, and I'm a member of a really terrific astronomy club in Gloucester, Massachusetts the Gloucester Area Astronomy Club, known affectionately as GAC. And every month, <laughs> GAC has a very good speaker. Uh, last month's speaker was an expert on extraterrestrial life and how we're going to find it. Uh, well, it so happens that next week, uh, November 8th, I'm the guest speaker. Uh, not saying I'm in the league of some of these outside experts, but there was a topic that really has fascinated me. I researched it, and I'm presenting it. And the topic is Einstein's block universe. Show of hands among your panel. Has anyone here ever heard of the block universe? Well, looks like we have Einstein well, with us. I, I didn't yeah, I didn't hear about it until maybe 10, 15 years ago. Never but heard. the gist of it is, uh, if you Einstein's theories actually predict that the three dimensions of space and the dimension of time can be aligned on a graph in what looks like a long block. And it begins on the left 
with the Big Bang and it ends on the right with the Big Empty. In other words, it's all of time compressed into a block form. And here's the most astounding thing. All of time exists simultaneously. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So yeah, every, every, every moment in time is like a thin slide or a thin frame of a movie picture. And therefore, the theory uh, purports, and it can't be refuted, by the way, at least not yet, that if you can travel in the three dimensions of space, you can also travel in the fourth dimension of time. Mm. Um, and it's rather mind-numbing what the implications are. And that's what my presentation is going to be about mm -hmm. on November 8th. And I'm hopeful that I can get you the Zoom links back beforehand in the event you have an opportunity to post them. Yeah, that'd be great. Anybody who might want to hear and see using, and I have a couple of music videos that, that enhance and entertain along the way. But let me ask you the question that, that you know, with, with time travel, there are paradoxes involved. And let me just ask you the question that oh, yes. we always seem to get asked. If you're able to yeah. travel in time, why weren't there, you know, uh, yep. five million people at the crucifixion? Let's say, because that's where a lot of people yeah. would go. Um, according to the Black Universe theory, you can travel in time, but because the frame, if you will, that you're traveling back to is fixed, you cannot affect it. Mm. You need a multi-universe in order to change time right. you know, by jumping into, and and, and that prevents the paradox from ever happening where you can go back in time and kill your grandfather mm -hmm. before you yourself invent a time machine. Hitler's, Hitler's baby. Know, so that's one of the reasons why this black universe theory has a lot of a lot of advocates is because it solves the problem of paradoxes. Yeah, wow. But you remember telling me many years ago, Mac, that you think that a lot of the UFOs that we spot are historians from the future coming back to observe what really happened. Time tourists. See, according to this theory, according to this theory, you can do it. Hmm. Wow, I must have been onto something there, Wamu. That accounts awesome. for a lot of lost socks. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> wow. So, and by the way, Einstein, Einstein himself did not come up with it as one of his teachers did, but before he died, Einstein embraced this in the form of a letter uh, completely. Hmm. Well, huh? Sounds he was good really to me. working hard on the unified field theory when he uh, made the endorsement going back to the block universe before he died. Yep. So, if I went back in time, I couldn't change some of my bets, like at the racetrack. Cannot do no, it. unless 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 doing so fulfilled the requirements of that frame in the movie, so to speak. In other words, you had to do this. So I can't win. You can't, the interesting about, thing about the block universe is that it allows that there be loops. You can get into yeah. caught into an endless loop where you yeah. build your time machine, go back, hmm. uh, do whatever it is that you're going to do, fast forward back, and then go through that period and then return. Wow. Sounds it's, complicated. So can you go back in time and change events? And it doesn't oh. take too long to explain it. Right. But you cannot change events. Of all things, it's also right. You cannot change you events. Not in the black universe. Right. Okay. You can't no, swap your old girlfriend from seventh grade to another girl. That's another show. Yeah. Wow. Okay. <laughs> wow. Just thinking out loud. Okay, that's good. That's what gets us in trouble sometimes. So listen. That's what scares us. One one. Right. <laughs> Why don't we take a commercial break now? Thank you, Phil, for uh, the uh, telling us about the top hat affair. I like that title. Uh, hopefully, good. coming on a uh, screen. Oh, I have a quick Close question. One, one quickie for Phil. Go ahead, please. In the hierarchy of tokens, there was 10 tokens. Was like one the yeah, real low rent yeah. uh, bottom of the pack token? The shoe. Yeah, yeah. Well, the, the, the wheelbarrow, the thimble, the shoe, they're the ones that have the uh, least advocates. Mm -hmm. uh, and maybe that's one reason why the, they're all out of the basic game now and replaced by tokens that have more uh, contemporary oh, appeal. But we at Winnie Moves mm. make the classic 1980 version, and if you want the authentic tokens that you grew up with, yeah. we make that you one. Can get them. Wow. So, cool. so, 
what's the best way to? I mean, you, your games are sold everywhere and toy stores everywhere, but can people order them online as well? Yeah, Amazon is actually everybody's biggest customer these days, sure. and Amazon carries everything. That and you can find our website winning-moves.com. You can see everything that we make, and it's amazing how many wonderful games that you'll remember from your childhood or early uh, adult years are available. Not and uh, Amazon, Barnes and Noble in particular carry them. Okay. Uh, lots of other online stores as well. One one just sent me a picture. Gave me a picture. Thimble. Is that your favorite one? Yeah, my favorite's the Thimble because it looks like a shot glass turned upside down. <laughs> the car was cool well, though. I, I, yeah, I, I have news for one. One, it's yes. my favorite token too. But you probably don't um, would not anticipate the reason why. Here it is. Okay. If you owe a rent in Monopoly, you do not have to pay it unless the person you owe it to asks for it. And there's a particular period of time when he can or she can do that before the rent is gone and can't be collected. Okay. It's basically your turn and the turn of the next person. Mm. After that, if they don't notice that a rent is due, you're off the hook. Well, wow, cool. if you have one of these little innocuous tokens like the thimble or the, the thimble. shoe, yes. they're less likely to be noticed on the game board. If you are a more flamboyant token like the anti-aircraft gun or the race car <laughs> or the or Cam the Newton, up Scotty, the Cam chances Newton. are, yeah, yeah, like <laughs> as, opposed, chances are as opposed to the Fig Newton, his hat, yes. And, and, I, and I've seen this in tournament play time and again where players get distracted and making a deal and they don't notice one of these little tokens has landed and owes them a lot of money. Wow. And they get, they get away with it. Um, I'm, it's I'm, the Trump that's maneuver. Incredible. Go ahead, Jim. Mm -hmm. it's, it, there's a cycle. It's the Trump maneuver. Oh, okay. Getting away with it. <laughs> anyway. My two favorite games were chess. Yes, chess. And yes. Candyland. <laughs> okay, all right. With the occasional bump of uh, shoots and ladders. That's the yin and yang. Well, that, that really goes from A to Z. He grew up at Cambridge. I, I came in second place in the chess tournament in the fifth grade, between fifth and sixth graders. Really, yeah? Would you come in? Where'd you place in the Candyland tournament? Uh, you know what? They should have had one back then. You would have won, I'm sure. Why don't we do this? Why don't we take a commercial Did break? You guys talked about a monopoly helped win World War II yes. already? Yes, yes, yes. Uh, two episodes ago. Yeah. What was the question? How did? Yep. Could you tell us real quick? How did Monopoly win World War II? Help us win World War II, Phil. Uh, British military intelligence and later American military intelligence used the game to smuggle escape aids inside the game boards and send them to POW camps, and they were able to hide inside of the boards low-profile compasses, saws, escape maps, right marks, cool. uh, a, the correct type of paper to forge documents. Uh, the Germans never caught on. They never thought, well, they, first of all, they always thought that games distracted POWs from thinking about escapes, so they generally didn't inspect them that carefully. Mm -hmm. The head of the escape committee in each camp actually knew the games were coming because they had a secret means of communicating uh, through what appeared to be ordinary letters home. So right. um, the whole scheme by both uh, Secret Service agents was well thought out. It worked consistently throughout the war. So effective was it that both governments put a clamp on it for 40 years. The secret was uh, maintained until 1985 and then only partially revealed. Wow. And I they, happen uh, to know the people behind the British end of it, and that's why I was able to piece together the entire story. The maps were made of silk cool. because... Yeah. The, the maps were made out of silk because... So, Right. And, and some of these maps were fairly large, printed with immaculate detail, usually maps of Germany or France or whatnot, yes. so that a POW who was on the run could pinpoint where he was and knew what roads to follow to get to freedom. Uh, they were made out of silk because, number one, they did not rustle at night. 
So cool. if you opened one up in the woods, your your pursuers That's wouldn't thinking. hear it. Number two, they they were water resistant. So if you landed in a puddle or something, they wouldn't deteriorate. And number three, they didn't lose detail at the fold lines. Nice. I mean, that's that's usually you had cocoa, please. Cocoa. I just wanted to uh, make note, Phil uh, gave out his site, but uh, for those that are a little bit uh, computer impaired, it's winning-moves.com. If you put winning-moves.com, you go to an X-rated site. I just oh, checked it out. I'm really? trying to keep everything no. safe. Check that out, one one. It's winning-moves, all one word, dot com. One one's typing madly. Winning. Okay. All right. Why don't we do this? Coco, what's that other site? <laughs> what's that I'll other? talk to you offline, Eric. Yeah, let's uh, I don't want to get any more FCC commercial break. Right. We, we have enough. Um, <laughs> you know, for the other guys. Okay. Here we go. Why don't we take a commercial break now, and uh, we'll be right back after this. You're listening to Mac Maloney's Milter x Show here on the Distant Thunder Radio Network. I was in the hospital with my son for 18 months. When he got injured, I wasn't prepared, but I knew I had to be strong. When I was told about John's injury, I was in complete shock. I just remember rushing into his room and giving him a big hug and letting him know I was there. These veterans and families are just a few of the heroes we serve at Homes for Our Troops. For thousands of severely injured veterans, everyday life is filled with barriers. It was really the, the little things throughout the house. Counters that you can't roll up to. I had to drag my wheelchair down steps. I want to help but he is so determined. At Homes for Our Troops, we build specially adapted custom homes with features like wheelchair access, roll-in showers, and automatic door openers that allow them to function independently and focus on their recovery and family. This house is freedom. It's hope. It's a new beginning. This house has given me my family back. To learn more, visit hfotusa.org. Welcome back, everyone. Mac Maloney's Military Expo Show here on the Distant Thunder Radio Network. This is Mac Maloney. Wow, what a show we have for you tonight. So let me just go around the horn, as they say in the sports biz. Girls, a very famous one one is here. Hello, Mac. Hello, girls. Looking and great dapper. And which, what, what, is, what is the horn? The, uh, we don't want to get into that. But we're okay. dressed alike. All right. We're dressed yeah, alike. Kind of. yeah. yeah. Why? You got that camera in my head? Sort of a, a little envy of you, I think, Mac. You, know? you don't have cameras in my house yeah, that I don't know about? Tom Brady is uh, yesterday's news. It's you go, wow, you are yeah. fickle. You are fickle, brother. <laughs> you I bet. Know. Up there. But in my the, Buccaneers gear is on order. The Great White North. Commander Cobra from his compound, Coco. There he is, giving us the universal hand signal. Thank you. Coco. Hello, Commander. Right. Two-hour show. Always great Thank to be you. on the wing, Matt. Uh, also, uh, our national correspondent up there in Battle Creek, Michigan, Switchblade Steve Ward, Switchy. Great to be here. Bowl of Frosted Flakes, a smile and big bowl. Yep, heaping bowl of sugar frosted flakes. Mm. You ever put uh, bananas or Extra anything like that? Ever put fruit on those bad boys? No, no, you don't want to. Okay. Don't wanna no, no, you don't want to, uh, you know, change perfection. I used to like it when the, you drain the box of frosted flakes, but there's the sugar dust on the, the dust, bottom. That's terrible. You like that? Oh, stuff? yeah. You're the only person. So the last that. bowl of frosted flakes would have the extra sugar dust in it. Yikes. I was a kid then. I had high, high metabolism. Yeah, it does It does explain a lot. Thank you. Club. Our security chief. <laughs> <laughs> Willie Club, thank you. Willie, how you doing tonight? You know, it's just a, another fun night tonight. There's just so much going on. I can't keep up with it all. <laughs> That's it. I'm trying my Join the club. Fun. Yeah, no, no time. As much fun as a barrel of monkeys. Ever seen a barrel of monkeys? Uh, I have, as it turns out. 
Remember that night down the coma? <laughs> Wasn't that what was going on down there? All right, listen. Um, Sometimes just one monkey can be your That's all. It's like oh, just one monkey is enough. Of, One's enough. Just maybe a trash can full of monkeys. Uh, let's get off the subject. Okay. okay. Our good friend, uh, Jill Hansen is here. Jill, how are you doing, Jill? Doing great. Happy okay. to hang out tonight. Now, I introduced you at the top of the show, as they say, uh, as a psychic, but you're not a psychic. Yeah, I don't know where you guys got that. Well, I really. Are you an empath? It was a joke. You're an empath. I mean, but hey, if you want to start that rumor, let's yes. do it and hopefully okay. it comes true. Okay, you're done. After that remark about what was happening with the cat, you can be anything you want. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, thank you. <laughs> thank you, Coco. Well, <laughs> for the all you, you, you missed it, but yeah, I'm not in case you missed it. it, yeah, you're gonna have to listen. You'll to have the show. to rewind the tape, as they say in the if they allow us to keep it in. Anyway, our good friend Phil Baines is with us. Phil is the creator and the brains behind Winning Moves company that makes a lot of the games, board games, that you know and love, and, and Rubik's Cube is also sold for them. Phil, how are you doing? I am doing very fine, and I'm delighted to be among the illustrious panel tonight. Wow. You betcha. How about that? Phil is in Magnolia, uh, Massachusetts, which is in the Gloucester area, but in a very, very you know, tony part of town. You go up that stretch of 128, even though it's yes, narrow, you, can tell. you drive a little bit slower so you can get the, the full breadth and, and mm -hmm. the... The fragrance of that part of uh, Massachusetts. Right. In Route 128, you've got Essex, uh, you go. Gloucester, it's, it's uh, Beverly Farms, secret. Magnolia, yeah. all of those M towns. And, uh, and, and I've got relatives there. It's awesome. Mm -hmm. yeah, I've got I have relatives in Magnolia. They must be the rich relatives. And I'm happy to tell everybody. Yes. I'm happy to tell everybody that the the uh, um, incredibly potholed street that I live off of. Esperus Avenue has been immaculately repaved with bike lanes. Oh, is that right? <laughs> so now I have a, now there's there's no more danger of your of your wheel coming off if you come well, down here. <laughs> well, don't you? Well, I, yeah, I remember going. Uh, yeah, I know what you mean. It was a bumpy ride down your house, but uh, isn't your house very near the the rocks where the wreck of the Hesperus was written about? Oh yeah, we're we're we're, we're not very far from the island known as Norman's Woe, which was. Uh, uh, Longfellow's inspiration mm. for the poem, The Wreck of the Hesperus, which okay. is why the street is called Hesperus. Oh, right, okay. Which yeah. means Venus in the morning sky, by the way, in Greek, you know, Greek mm. times. Mm. So. It all go. ties together here. It's a we big Wow. Okay. I'm, I'm getting a wicked good education. Is there an exam after the show? Yes, there is. Aren't you taking notes? Isn't that what you're doing? Email your answers in. Yeah. If there was an exam, the professor would be our next guest, Jim Frankel, out there in Arizona. Jim, how are you doing? I'm good. I didn't realize how educational this was going to be. Neither, you know? neither did and, we. But I want to know, can they grow, do they grow magnolias in Magnolia? That's why the town got its name. It's as far north in uh, New England that a magnolia tree will grow. And I happen to have one in my backyard, which blooms on Mother's Day. Well, huh. I hate to dispute that, but I'm in Maine, north of you, and I have a magnolia about 150 feet from where I'm sitting. Really? Are you sure? Oh, I qualify by saying in, in Massachusetts. There you go. <laughs> well, Maine, Maine here's count. the technical. I thought, Bill, you were going to go for it. When that claim was made, Maine was part of Massachusetts. Oh, uh -huh. Wow. That long I, ago. I, I feel better. There you go. I feel better. That's a good qualification, too. I should just yeah. say, yeah, uh, you never know what's growing up in Coco's farm, if you know what I mean. It might look like a magnolia. Never bring a rose to a magnolia battle. Dude, that's on his T-shirt. I? I know. Okay, so I've introduced everybody, right? I think so. Okay, we have a little bit yep. coming up. Now, so. a couple weeks ago, we had the top 10 UFO movies that should be rebooted. Okay. Do you remember back that far? I Actually, I was absent. Tonight, oh, you were so. absent. You were on yeah. your secret mission. Okay. Yeah, I was with the dog. I knew something was missing. Anyway, I can't, re I can't remember uh, totally the list, but it was like Independence Day, you know, just terrible movies that it's time to go in and 
and do them all. And fix it. Close Encounters of the Third Kind, mm -hmm. which is, you know, some people think it's an iconic movie. It should be done over because it's not that great of a movie anyway. Why? Really? <clears throat> Why should it be done over? I don't understand. Okay, number one. Um, How and I will tell you because I wrote my – well, I won't get into that. But okay. um, first of all, it, it, it for, for one thing, it was probably five or six years ahead of its time because if you really look at the special effects and what they tried to do, um, they could have done it easily five years later. Okay, There's a lot of um, people that you know their direction was just look up this way and have a look of wonder on your face and we'll put everything in it. You know, and, 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 it, and, it, and it shows. Uh, number two, Spielberg – to me, has directed two of the wow. The thing with it's a long show tonight. He's directed two of the best movies ever, um, Saving Private Ryan and Schindler's List. But for two reasons, not because of his direction, but the message in both of those movies. I think every high school senior should be should see both of those yeah. movies. Yep. Before he decide what career path yeah, he wants. Mandatory wanted. listening and really. watching. Yeah. yeah, it really. So anyway, but he's made a lot of crappy movies too. He doesn't know how to tell a story, and it's very sappy when he doesn't know what to do. It's just going to Don't snap. tell me that you didn't like Raiders of the Lost Ark. No, come on. Raiders come on. of the Lost Ark. We've gone into this before. Every time it's riveting. there. you got to wear your seatbelt. Yeah, but the, the, the heroes have nothing to do with it. If they weren't in the movie, the Nazis still would have brought the thing back to the cave and opened it up, and the you know well, the demons would have killed them. There's well, no. Well, you, it was good box office to portray the Nazis as uh, maybe smart, but a bunch of boobs at the same time. There you go. That's how Hogan's heroes What did made. you think of Duel? Yeah, oh, yeah Duel. Yeah, that was his first movie. Yeah, there's a lot first, of tension. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, Ooh. it was clever. I mean, he did it under a, a strict budget. It's about a guy driving through the desert, and there's a gas truck on his, you know, on his bumper, and he's after him, and he doesn't know why, you know. And it is a really good movie. He did a really good movie called Sugarland Express with Goldie Hawn, which is a really, oh yeah, interesting movie. But then he got, he did Jaws, which Jaws is a terrible movie. It, I'm sorry, it's a terrible movie. Um, oh no. Yeah, yeah, what? yeah. All right. Well, let me tell you. Let me just let me just let me just tell you why. Okay. Now this is my. Tell, tell everybody your credentials. Yeah. Go right. On. Four years of film school. So here we yeah. go. Ma. He, he <laughs> the money sat, wasn't he wasted. Sat the, he sat in the middle between Cisco Lieber. There you go. He, he right. sat so closely that, you couldn't that, even yeah. see him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Okay. One one. The mind of one one. All right. Here we go. I'm just going to take one scene out of Jaws. Okay. So it's, it's towards the end, and yeah. the, the 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 shark is attacking the boat, and Robert Shaw is up there, and also the other guy. Um, uh, you know, the sheriff of the Richard town. Richard Dreyfus. No, the other one. But Richard Robert Shaw from Jackie Brown fame. Robert Shaw is up there, and also Schneider. what's his name again? Roy Schneider. Roy Schneider. Roy Schneider. Okay. Yeah. Now what happens is now Richard Dreyfus has been in this movie. The entire movie, okay? He's kind of like the nerdy professor. When the, when the, he's he been out there looking for the shark just as much as the rest of them have. But he's underwater when the shark attacks the boat mm -hmm. with the sheriff. Yeah. And, and he suddenly, where does he go? He goes and he hides for, you know, for the entire uh, battle between the shark and the boat. And then when it's over, he's, oh, all of a sudden I can come out of my, you know, crab hole or something. It's like, that is not a good story. I'm sorry. It's not a good story. But... It's how you make a story, and and that movie was supposed to come out at Christmas, well, and it was well, technically Mac. He was in the shark cage, which was separated from no, the shark. No, he got out of he, he got out of the shark the cage, cage and stayed in it. No, he got out of the shark cage. If I I might be wrong, but I think he got out of the shark cage. When you see him reemerge, he's coming out from under, you know, like an underwater under cage something. Or something. Who yeah. knows? But the thing is, is that here's the problem: it's, is it's, not the problem, but you have to have that guy in the scene in the battle. He just can't all of a sudden you know disappear and come back at the end, no matter how he did it. You have to well, have. I believe you're missing, you're missing the whole point. Go ahead. Back in, in the book, he died. In the well, book, he, he, who, he who died read the friggin' book? <laughs> <laughs> and the reason that the other part that they left out that they wanted to have him come back 
was because he had an affair with Roy Scheider's wife in the book. Right. The shot? Before they went out to sea. Oh, so oh, that's oh, the Dreyfus. reason why he died at sea. Okay. All right. I, I had no idea there was a book. Anyway, but so movie, go ahead, movie, Jim. Mac. Yes. Mac, in the movie, in the movie, being punished for being the intellectual. Oh, is that what it is? Okay. I don't know what that's like. I'm sure that's what it is. You know, so. the, the shark the, the shark cage is basically purgatory, and then he's 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 let out. Really? You know, so it's a metaphor. Well, it makes a lot of sense, one big James, metaphor. Because the punishment for being the uh, the regular guy, the sailor who did battle in World War II with the sharks, he gets killed. So I guess right. that all makes sense. In wow. the, uh, Do we see the same know, movie? Elevated minds. Talking about who knows? Who knows? Six. So anyway, what we started on all this is because we, Shaw was a survivor of the Indian Indianapolis. That's right. Which unto yeah. right. itself was yeah, amazing. Uh, we we talked about we started about this because we were talking about close encounters of the third kind and how Spielberg does not know how to do a story. We've talked about it many times. If you watch that movie, originally the movie was um, supposed to be a military officer who did not believe in UFOs and he's converted throughout the movie, which is kind of it's like an X Files thing in a way. But they brought Richard Dreyfuss in, and and a good part of that movie is him building mountains out of mashed potatoes and dirt and everything. And and we, yeah. we kind of get it, but. It, it, it throws off the pacing of the movie because Dreyfus was a big star at the time. Um, and that's why the movie is very uneven. And then you have that last hour of all the special effects where it's just like people looking up at lights and, you know, look, make it look like, you know, you're in wonder. The other thing, too, we brought this up maybe later on in the show. And this is well known because people have written about it. Everybody on that set, except Spielberg, apparently, was just coked out. OK, they spent <laughs> millions of dollars on coke on in that movie. It's true. Kathleen Kennedy, who was the producer of that movie, who was big during the 70s, wrote a book and she says that's where my million dollar you know habit of coke started on see because it, because it was it was under a lot of pressure to get it done yeah. and yeah. they're all so anyway i think it shows really? i think they should reboot that movie to the original um plot where um it's a military officer who's just gradually well he he, can't, he has to believe his eyes type thing you know yeah. and then they do meet the aliens so that's yeah. just me so you know, I, I would never want to go to a movie with you. You were such a downer. Wow. <laughs> Thank you, Wendy. Oh, my God. I, I just want to confess I've been doing white powder lately. I think they call it Miralax. Oh. <laughs> I thought it was the powder on the we donut. doing lines with it. I know you, you put it in your coffee. <laughs> it, yeah, it's a, wow. regular, it's a regular thing for him. Okay. So listen. The reason, oh. <laughs> It took a while to say. Go and get you one, one, but I do, baby. Yeah, that was you. That's the important thing. All right, so listen. So the reason we got into That was a money shot right there, buddy. Was that we were going to talk. So we got letters, fan letters. Well, we not fan letters. letters yep. Where they said, well, there are movies, there are sci-fi movies out there. Why didn't you mention them? So on and so forth. But we did have an alternate list. And these are five UFO movies that should just not be rebooted. Or not re-rebooted, as it turns they out. They should just burn the film cans and off well, you go. You know, it's been done. You know what I mean? Yeah. So uh, in most cases. So Jill has been nice enough to uh, read off the list. So number five, film number five. These are UFO movies that should not be rebooted. All right, number five, War of the Worlds. War of the Worlds has been rebooted, Absolutely. as it turns out. But the yeah, unfortunately, right. The first War of the Worlds was in the early fifties, and it's a great movie. It's a, it's just a cool sci-fi movie. There's oh, a, it's the late. Yeah, and, and, and the special effects in it are just so fifties and everything. It's 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 a good movie. Gene Barry is in it, um, and then yeah, Gene Barry, yeah. They they remade it with Tom Cruise. Um, How can you go wrong there, right? Well, it's only a two-hour show. You know, it's it's <laughs> yeah. once again, it's Spielberg, and it's and it's it, there's a lot of good scenes in that movie. This is War of the Worlds the reboot. Tom Cruise is in it. Uh, his kid, he's trying to get his kids from 
Brooklyn to Boston, as it turns out, Cambridge, as it turns out, okay. where the airlines, for some reason, passed it by. The only they, neighborhood left standing. Right, exactly. You know, the, the world no, is that was beautiful. The world is destroyed, and, and, and they go to Cambridge at the end to return the kids, and there's a few leaves on the street. That's it. <laughs> Everything else is in order. For the guy with the push has gone, Cambridge is still there. He was late that day. You're right. And they come out, and they, they had just done the, 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 the Times crossroad puzzle. Oh, exactly. Yeah, here's the grandkids. Yep. And he stole the scene from the searches. He stole the scene from the searches. At the end of the searches, he returns the daughter, and then John Wayne just walks out in the door. The nothing North wrong with stealing a scene or an idea yeah, once well, in a while. We'll, I mean, we'll steal the scene that not everyone in the world knows about. You know what I mean? That's what makes it cool. No, it is. They say, oh, man, remember that in the movie? Yeah. Blah, blah, blah. Not everybody in the world knows the search. Hey, listen, well, you know, the, film, the, world the film nerds, though. Uh, Gene Barry and Ann Robinson played the parents. Yeah, they were good. Yeah, there's right a lot of tension. Them. Yes. Anyway, okay. So, War of the Worlds, it's already also, been made twice. Also, in the twice. original War yes. of the Worlds movie, the B-49 flying wing mm. delivers the atomic bomb. That's right. It's a huge road to everything that was California. Caltech is mentioned. Yes. Northrop Grumman, then it was just Northrop. It's a, it, it's a much more classically done sci-fi movie. Good adaption. Yes. of H.G. Uh, Wells, but my biggest complaint with Tom Cruise's version of it is they completely changed the delivery of the aliens. It right. was done with this light and lightning bolt stuff. They were underneath the ground already. Yes. Horrible. Yeah. Wells did not write that. That's right. not, that wasn't the book. And, and, I, I agree. Go ahead. And his, 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 and Club, go ahead, please. Club's a big I fan. I just want to say, I have the uh, the radio version of that with Orson Welles. Mm. Oh, yes. Oh, it's a classic. I, I love listening to that. Right. Shut the lights off. In the uh, nice drink, and uh, yeah. it really scared people scared too. Nineteen thirty-eight well, Halloween. Of course, it did because people even had heart attacks. Right. Yep. Oh, people died. People died. Even yeah. though they made an announcement before the uh, broadcast, right. apparently some people missed that part of it, and they right. were calling police and everything His, else. But it, just anyways, if you ever want to enjoy that movie, <laughs> just get it in the uh, audio version. Uh, it really. Uh, me, it's a classic. It's quite vivid. What happened was Orson Welles. Orson Welles was um, a guy who used to put on theater on the radio in 1938 and Halloween. They put on this right. kind of fictional adaption of War of the Worlds where they said that yeah. aliens had landed in New Jersey. Now, they, they said it at the beginning of the show, but what they did, one of the things I think that hooked a lot of people was they built in these things where there's these violinists orchestra play, and the guy comes on and goes, oh, we have a news bulletin now, and they go to Orson Welles, and it makes it seem like it's a news. But they said before that, this is a fictional account. And they broke in during the thing and said, this is a fictional account, but people just heard it. Like, panic took right. over, you know, and, and, and all of New Jersey was sure that aliens had landed in New Jersey for some reason. And it, But that's what made him My famous. dad was six months old. My dad was six months old, living in New York. Neighbor came to the apartment and said to my grandfather, Artie, get the kid. We've got to get out of here. Yes. Aliens have landed in New Jersey. Lights, cars, the whole nine yards. Well, too bad the casino wasn't up then. There you go. That's why they were there. Anyway. <clears throat> Next movie, please, Jill, I guess. Sure. So number four, The Day the Earth Stood Still. The Absolutely. Day the Earth has also Agreed. been rebooted. Agreed. Right. Terrible, terrible yeah. remake. The remake was terrible. Terrible remake. Yeah. The first, Forget the remake. Right. The first the first movie was in the early 50s with Michael Rennie. Michael Rennie. Yeah. And I saw that in uh, Catholic Camp. The spe yeah, the special effects, it's it's an odd movie. Stay the heck with, yeah. There's a lot of sci-fi at the yeah. beginning, and there's a lot of sci-fi at the end. But the middle is this drama about Michael Rennie, who's an alien, and he comes and he kind of lives amongst the humans mm -hmm. so he can get some formula to get on his... Find Sasha and go back, but he has this robot named Klaatu, right? And he is this guy who can no, destroy no, anything. No, 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 What happened? Gort, Gort, Gort. That's right. Yes, okay. Okay, okay. Klaatu, yeah. But he was like the 
this robot fascist, right? Who, you know, if you don't do it, I mean, that's the that's the message that Michael Rennie, you know, addresses to the robots with a badass. It's like if you don't do what we tell you, bada bang, you're gonna get the ray. Okay, so but it's it's a very um, compelling movie. It's slow. It's in the fifties, but it's still kind of like a not an iconic movie, but a good. Just sit and watch it. It's good. It's compelling. Mm -hmm. Then they remade it with. What's his name? The kid. Reeves. Reeves. Yeah, the kid God who lost his us. car. Yeah, just oh, why are you doing this? And so yeah, leave really. that, leave the original alone. You can't. You're not going to improve yeah. on the original one. Agreed. No, it was a great movie. Robert Wise made that movie. He was terrific. Mm -hmm. Big time director in the fifties. Uh, okay, yeah. And, and, okay. and the and the and the music, the theremin music. Yes, was yes. Great. Yeah, right. Yeah. That. Yeah, the thing in good vibrations. Yeah. We should do a story about Theremin himself. Yeah. Talk about an interesting guy. Uh, Jill, next movie, please. Number three, Mars Attacks. Okay, this is the top five <sighs> movies that should not be rebooted. This movie, now I know Switch and I were going to start taking swings at each other. This is one of the biggest wastes of time. When did it come out? Jack Nicholson is in it, and it's just like stupid. It turns major, out it's, it's major stupid. It, it, it's like um, based on the trash can kids or something, isn't it, Switchy? The top uh, train cards. What did, what's the name? Very colorful and violent-looking uh, okay. trading cards where the Martians are attacking the Earth. Okay. The cards came first. That's right. Cards that's came right. first. They made a movie out of trading cards. cards. Okay. Terrible. I, I had the cards. Did you, did you really? Yeah. I mean, what, I had what did they give Jack Nicholson? A million bucks to show up for about five minutes in it? And he's nuts. I know. It, it was really awful. Terrible. Terrible. Switch, yeah. are you going to defend it or no? But, but the, 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 the drama with uh, Slim, is it Slim Whitman? Slim Whitman Slim and exploding heads of Martians. <laughs> I, I used that line so many times for 10 years when I would call into the ship or, or, or in the control tower and they, and they were flubbing the answer. They couldn't get the thing back. I would turn and say on the radio, Deploy the sounds Slim like Whitman. a Martian and a Slim Whitman song playing right now. <laughs> Yikes. Okay. At the at the controls of a chopper at this point, yeah, okay, all right. Slim Whitman, uh, yeah, I don't know. Poor Slim Whitman, though he got a lot of abuse. He was a country music. Uh, guy, it wasn't that bad. But... He was, according to the commercial, the number one male singer in England from 1968 to 1972. No, wow, no, he beat out Frank Ifield. And he sold albums on TV and infomercials. Yeah, he did. Yeah, that for years and years and years. He I did that. that. Maybe the 50s. Maybe the 50s he was. But, I mean, in those years in England, that's that's when you have a lot of, you know, the Beatles are still around. Well, that's when they said, thank God for the, the Beatles. Because Frank oh, Frank like Ifield that. was kicking ass with, I remember you. Yeah. No You're one's head one. exploded during a Beatles song. No. Well, that, well, that's Something true. else that's did, true. though. That's another story. So, why don't we but, go to but the... But that's not a remake. Yes. Mac, yes. that's not a remake. No, we're saying do not re do not reboot Mars Attacks because the word, the first one was the it was bad. Why go back to that? That's what we're saying. Sorry, switch. Yes, it was. You're absolutely right. Uh, next next movie UFO movie not to be rebooted, please, Jill. Number two, Invasion of the Body Snatchers one and two. Okay, hmm. let me. I'm going to jump on this real quick. Let's let's go Invasion of the Body Snatchers two, which is a reboot. Okay, this not, should not be reboot reboot. Terrible. Donald Sutherland was in it, and a few other people was made in the 70s. And it's just when special mm -hmm. effects were starting to get kind of creepy. But for the most part of it, it's it's a human drama. And the whole idea is that these, uh, you know, aliens or whatever are taking over people's bodies, and they're turning out zombies that look exactly like the people are, okay? Now, that's that's how the reboot was. And the, and the reason that the reboot sticks in my mind is that, like I said, there's some special effects in there that still stay with me, and I'm not going to— tell you what they are but there's one where a guy and a dog a guy and his dog 
get snatched, get mixed up, let's say. Yeah. And and there's a scene in it. Remember in the fly where Vincent Price goes, "Help me, help me." It's like that, and it's whoa, it's scary. It's scary. So anyway, but the first one made in the fifties was just a it, it's a thinly veiled kind of propaganda film against the con- communist uh, yeah, invasion. Right. And I, you can't top that. I mean, you can't remake comedy. that. Right. It's a, well, if you put a last track to it maybe, but um yeah, so leave that alone. The first one is really and the first one's scary and the first one is, you know, has tension in it. It's very effective. Oh yeah. yeah. Right. I was I was a young boy when I saw it on TV. The, the, the little boy in the movie was like my age mm-hmm. and I identified with him and I was very scared. Yeah, it was a scary The line movie. that sticks with me is is when is when he kisses he kisses Dana Winter and he says, "I was never so terrified in my entire life." <laughs> wow! Because she's turned. Oh, she's turned. I thought she was so hot. So, um, but she's in now the, a pot person. Yes. And then at the end, Kevin McCarthy, who is someone who you've seen in a lot of movies, but he's kind of like the lead male guy in this. Yeah. Uh, there's a traffic yeah. jam at the very end, and I hear that they put this on after they had finished the rest of the movie, where he's running through the traffic, going, "They're here, they're here," you know, as if the right. communists. Are, I mean, there's, right. there's no other real interpretation of it. So, uh, yeah, Invasion of the Body yeah, The government heavily subsidized that movie. Did they really? Yeah, I was, I was wondering. Yes, they did. Yeah. So and they should that, not that be That line that you talked about was what they wanted put in at the end, mm-hmm. where he's basically the modern Paul Revere saying, you've got to look, the communists are all around us. They want to be us. They want to look like us. They want to wear our clothes. They want to live our lives, but they're soulless. But the most part of say also, you're next. You're next? Yeah, it could be. That sounds like it. Yes, yeah, you're next. You're in danger. Right. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. That scared the hell out of me. But for the most part, one of those trucks in a way, and it's full of the seed pods. That's yes. right. Yes. The, the novel, the original novel by Jack Finney, actually had a a, a happy ending. They, <laughs> really? Uh, How they, they tie a ball in that? They a field of the seed pods. They set them on fire, and they right. just kind of go back into space. Yep. Wow, huh? They live happily ever after. Wow. Well, I still have the cover art for that book. Well, huh? Okay, so. Uh, Jill, are we at the, uh, the last uh, number one movie? Not to be rebooted. We are down to number one. Okay. Yep, number one, Signs. Signs. Okay, Signs. Signs, oh. Signs is close to a perfect never movie. Seen it. You've never seen that, Jim? It's, it's probably one of the best ones Amazing. Out there. Yeah. One of the best it's movies. Amazing. And there's a lot going for it. Uh, there's a lot going against possibly it. Be, you cannot redo it. You can't if redo you it. If you redo it, it'll, it'll be a disaster. Yeah. Right. Here's, um, yeah, for sure. I think for me, the most powerful thing about that was the existential. I don't know. I want, I don't want to say crisis that it put me in, but just it felt so real. Mm-hmm. Right. And it made me wonder, like, what if this really could happen? Mm-hmm. They, they take it centers it. around a family. Yes, mm-hmm. right. Yeah. The so there's a really powerful. Everything is connected. Right. Everything is connected. Everything that happens, everything that goes on around us, we're all connected. It's connected. To yeah. the bad right. things that happen is how to come. The, the ending is happy the way it, it actually turns right. out to be happy here's here's what's what's uh, they had a number of things going against it as it turns out and they overcame number one mel gibson is like the lead guy in it and this is like a couple of years before he could stop by the highway patrol and turned out to be you know a real you know so yeah, but you know that was going to happen I mean, no was, no 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 but when you look when you now i watch in the block it universe we did yeah in the block universe we did no where were you where were you were we talking? so anyway but it, he's kind of a, everybody loved mel gibson back then uh, i don't know I, let's say okay maybe you did but anyway but you couldn't you know he he's really good in it because i don't want to give anything away but you know he's he plays a minister in it and then he, he has this family and joaquin phoenix was the other guy in it right he's was good. it joaquin he was yeah, just nuts in it and then he's they, great. The he, bro- he plays. He plays the brother to perfection. Right. And and what they do is they there's there's a scene in it where you you have one little glimpse of what the aliens look like at kind of like halfway through the movie. And the way they do it, it's like someone had a super eight movie camera at a kid's birthday party in Brazil, and all of a sudden one of the aliens walks in, 
it's one of the best scenes ever, you know, because you wait and you wait and then bada boom, you see it. It's a great movie, Jim. I cannot believe you have not seen Signs. Cannot believe it. Just an, you know, an accident timing. I'm going to put another pin in the voodoo it, thumb. It's a very strange mixture of signs. Yes, right. Well, Jim, I got to say, if the cage in Jaws was purgatory, you're in signs purgatory. Till the next time we see, you better have this squared away the next time we all get together. Yeah, <laughs> yes. I'll, I'll do the best I can. I'm going to send the DVD to you. If I get an address, I will get a copy of the movie sent to you. So this we got to mention the soundtrack as well. That's my address. I do have his. Who does the soundtrack very, switch? Very picky about it, though. It's a secret. I would love to get a copy of it. I would be very appreciative. It's in the mail. Who did the sound soundtrack? Switch? Switchy. Who did the soundtrack? Uh, James Newton Howard. Oh, He's okay. done a lot of M. Night Shyamalan films. Mm-hmm. Oh. It was just superb. Right. Yeah. It was as a standalone soundtrack as well. That was uh, M. Night's. Uh, that was one. That was his high point, and The Sixth Sense was his high point. You know, Sixth Sense is a great movie, and uh, but then he went downhill yeah. from there. He's like Orson Welles one right down the old. But M. Night. Yeah. You don't like him. No, he, he just yeah. he he lost the shine, his shine after the. He did a movie called The Village, which is like oofa. You just don't want him. Help, help me, help me. Yeah, and, and, and yeah, yeah. And, and, you know the Village actually looks pretty good compared to the one where the trees are sending out the chemical that kills everybody. Oh, it's happening. happening. I the love happening. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. Okay. I like Unbreakable. I don't Unbreakable. I watched that twice. And I still don't get it. I know people who love that movie. Thinking Man superhero movie. That's why I didn't get it. So. <laughs> Okay, so listen. Uh, you know what? We're gonna take uh, not even. We're gonna take a soft break here. Okay, we're gonna go right into Coco's um, report on secret weapons. I just want to remind everyone: you're listening to Macaloni's Military X-Files show here on the Distant Thunder Radio Network. And despite what our fan led let us say, I'm gonna introduce everyone really quick. Quick. Okay, really quick. Ready? Yep. Okay, girls. The famous one one is here. Very Hello, famous. Mike. Very famous. Okay, Coco is here. Switch, on the wing, Max. Switchy. On the wing. Switch. Never yeah. runs out of fuel. He's on the wing the, constantly. The chicken wing. Great to be here. Switch. Yeah, okay. Our uh, security chief is uh, here. Whitey Bulge. I mean, the Willie Club. Yeah. Well, hands above deck. Didn't, don't you have a costume nearby there? Weren't you going to show us what you're going to dress up as for Halloween? No, not that. <laughs> Never mind. He, <laughs> he didn't get the memo. Okay. Uh, also, uh, our favorite empath, as it turns out, uh, Jill Hansen. Jill. How are you doing tonight? I'm doing great. Mike. I love the glasses. Love those glasses, man. Thank you. Can we get want to get that. glasses like that, there, Ginger? Look at those. Uh, yeah, I think those uh, my wife would get glasses like that. Also with us, <laughs> our good friend Phil Orbanes, the owner of Winning Moves, uh, the creator, and also great the to be here. manufacturer of a lot of game boards and stuff that you uh, know and like. Risk included. Also the Rubik's Cube, which I've never saw. Uh, also, joining us for some reason, maybe you will. maybe because we have to talk about it, something after the show is uh, my editor slash agent, Jim Franco, out there in Arizona, where it's cold today. Jim, how are you doing? In the desert. Here we are. Okay. I'm good. I'm very good. We see you on screen, and all I can say is if Einstein and Roger Daltrey had a baby, he'd look like Jim. Huh? <laughs> and he kind of look a little bit like Bo. Well, look, I can all, all I can tell you, you is that to I've been to get a haircut for the last month, okay. and this Friday I am finally getting Really, yeah? You're going to get it finally. all shaved off? You're going to get it to go bald or what? You look like a no, f- serial no, no. killer. It's just going to be brought down to manageable size. Okay, good for you. you, know. um, you want to bring a- Daddy, get yourself a baby grand piano and a candelabra, yes, buddy. that's what I was going to say. <laughs> um, okay, so anyway... Uh, we're back, and uh, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, Coco and I have been talking about this off air for a while. We're always interested in military X Files, as it turns out, and especially secret weapons. And how do you know what secret weapons are if they're secret? You know, but these exactly. days, it seems to me, and I'll just real quick: the stealth fighter F one seventeen stealth fighter isn't really a fighter; it's an attack plane. But it was the first 
production plane, let's say, that you know did not show up on radar, in quotes. And they were secret for 10 years before they were kind of revealed to the public. But I think these days, I don't think that the... You know, the line, the timeline is that long. Am I wrong there, Coco? Um, well, it depends, Mac. We, there's a companion story we'll talk in later episodes of the show that that timeline might be uh, maybe happening around us again. With, I mean, we've talked about the replacement of the SR-71. Obviously, there's a couple aircraft out there flying that's replaced it um, because of the uh, the secrecy that's gone on. So you one wonders if there's an SR-72 and what's, what's happening. But the 117, uh, because of what it represented and how it was brought out, is uh, still remains probably one of the most interesting aircraft. Um, I direct people that are really interested in this particular aircraft to pick up the book, Skunk Works. Uh, it is probably one of the best ones you can read on it. And the way that they sold this, the way Skunk Works sold this aircraft out to, uh, to the military, especially the Air Force was looking for this capability, is that uh, they'd walk in and they'd take a ball bearing, a fairly small one about the size of a marble, and roll it across the desk to the general or the person that was uh, trying, they were trying to impress and say, that's the radar signature of your airplane um, when, when we build this airplane. And they actually had to build a couple prototypes of it to prove that it worked, and it did. Uh, Lockheed Skunk Works uh, crunched the numbers. They had a mathematician that came up with a way of doing it. And the way they did it was with angular displacement. That's the reason why it looks the way it is. It's a series of triangles reflected the energy away. And what they didn't want reflected away or wasn't going to be reflected away was absorbed by the paint. That's kind of important what I'm going to report tonight. Um, the 117, when I was in the Air Force, was rumored. People knew something was flying. Uh, they had a squadron of A7 aircraft that were painted all black. They were left out in the, uh, uh, in the visible parts that you could see at places like Mellis Air Force Base. And as Mac has often talked about in the past, they would fly one of them in front, the 117 would fly in the middle, and the other A7 would fly in the back of this formation. And the reason they did this is so that uh, they could figure out where the 117 was because it didn't show up on radar. Wow. And that's how they were able to track it when they were doing the exercises and the uh, the training of it. Obviously, it only flew at night. It, it did not fly during the day uh, for the majority of the beginning of its career. But one of the things that was interesting when I was in Europe, uh, stationed there, we started to talk about uh, the airspace below 500 feet was very crowded. And if the war was going to go on, jets were going to be operating well below 500 feet. They were going to be operating as low as down to about 300 feet to 200 feet. And us and helicopters were going to be below them. Hopefully the 50 foot separation was going to work because the only way that they were going to be able to defeat radar detection on what they call integrated air defense is which this is what the Soviet Union had demonstrated during Vietnam and during Syria. Uh, and Egypt sails thereafter is that's how they would protect the airspace with an incredible array of radars and then in intersecting fields of fire of missiles and uh, ground artillery. All of a sudden, uh, the United States starts talking at secret meetings that we're going to be cruising at around 5,000 feet. And of course, the Allies are going, you know, how is that? How are you going to possibly survive that? Well, the reason they could is because the plane wasn't showing up on radar. And when Desert Storm came, uh, it proved to the world that uh, that technology, the radar, had been defeated and defeated decisively. And if you remember correctly, right after Desert Storm, that's pretty much when the last of the Soviet Union collapsed because they did not long have the ability to defend themselves and they could never go on the offense. So the 117, it serves for about uh, 10 to 15 years and everybody uh, sees it, starts to see it at air shows. It shows up and it, uh, it flies around at a few places. And next thing you know, 
it's uh, obsolete and they go away. They go into very specialized storage out in uh, the Nellis uh, complex, Conifon, to be uh, to be more exact. And not much has heard of them again. They have a significant piece of history. Uh, a couple of them have showed up at museums. The latest one is one that was restored and brought to the Reagan Museum, which the president really was responsible for bringing it to fruition. And then over the last five, six years, everybody uh, everybody starts to report seeing 117 flying again. So in two instances, what it appears to be is that some portion of the uh, fleet is back flying again. And it appears that it is two roles. It's uh, all but known for certain that uh, a, a small set of Nighthawks was flying uh, in Syria on this latest the series of operations that went on in Syria, defeating ISIS, as well as the operations against the Syrian uh, government and in support of the rebels. Uh, so the aircraft obviously still has some very important uh, capabilities to provide there. So there seems to be a uh, resilient strike role that's still going on with it, in addition to its operational test and the value. They still put the plane up to help test and provide capabilities to detect it, uh, things that are designed to defeat uh, stealth capabilities or how to exploit it. So the aircraft was still flying doing that work. And in the last, well, I'd say the last 90 days, what we've had occur now is 117s flying during the day and showing up at places like Marine Corps Air Station Miramar, which once was the Naval Air Station where Top Gun used to be based. Now Top Gun is at Fallon in Nevada. That's in the northern northern part of uh, the state of Nevada. And it's being used as an aggressor aircraft for a variety of exercises for ships as well as other aircraft. And one of the uh, recent pictures that was taken because it's no longer is highly classified secret airplane anymore. It's no longer in that uh, black uh, area of concealment. It, that it had a new coat of paint. A couple of them that were out flying looked pretty ratty. They looked pretty beat up uh, because the paint, obviously, very expensive, very, very sensitive. And if the plane crashes, you have to be ready to figure out how you're going to recover a crashed airplane um, very quickly or obliterate it because you don't want the technology to, uh, to get out of, uh, get away, to, to have a way of breaking down the chemical compound on that, on that paint. So at sporting a new paint uh, or updated paint job, it has more traditional markings on it to include marking letters that say it's out of Tonopa, which is the first time that I think anybody on, has ever seen that happen before uh, for an airplane that of this kind of uh, background. And it's out uh, supporting aerial and naval exercises on the West Coast of the United States, working with uh, aircraft carrier groups, surface ships that provide the air defense around the carrier. Uh, Juan Juan can add to that. And I would suspect that there's probably some other activities going on with uh, um, other layered and integrated exercises that are going on. If uh, the uh, communist Chinese are purported to have stealth technology, it appears that we're probably preparing our forces for ways to uh, detect, intercept, and uh, make it work. So I strongly urge folks, grab the book, Skunk Works. It's an incredible story about what went behind and producing of that. It's probably one of the best books you can get on the subject, and uh, it centers around this particular airplane. So can I add a comment? Yes, please. Phil. Absolutely, Phil. Yes, okay, Phil. it's relevant. Uh, many years ago, my neighbor was a lead uh, aircraft engine designer for General Electric, oh. and uh, I had met him a few months after he traveled all the way to Dayton, Ohio, to see the 117 because his team built the engines 
having no idea what the airframe looked like that their engines were going to be part of. Yeah, that's right. right. Not not uncommon for the secrecy level that went on. Um, and this is where one of those things where Lockheed really, especially Skunk Works, really, really excelled at. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's what they yeah, that's did. That's excellent. Yeah. Johnson uh, started that, that outfit. He started World War II, and the legacy that he has is just unbelievable right. because yeah. when you look at the capabilities of separating out that, that kind of talent, he, he 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 didn't care about anything but results, mm. and he wanted people to just exercise their talent to the fullest. And he didn't believe in the BS and red tape. Yes. And he was loved, and he was hated within his organization, and, and the same for the rest of it. Because, but he got results. Right. The P eighty, yeah. the shooting star, for the first sure, really man. functional jet fighter that we produced right. that actually worked, was because Johnson and Johnson could have probably pulled it off during World War II. Uh, for lack of the engine technology that we did not have in the United States, that was a German and British uh, major operation at that time. But he was able to turn these things around and make that kind of stuff work. And that's that's the that's the absolute vision of uh, Kelly what goes on. Right. One quick thing, Mac, I want to close with. Go ahead. If I can. Yes. Uh, listeners, if they have uh, the uh, the capacity and the time, the wingmanfoundation.org. Wow. All one word. We've had a series of uh, crashes recently. The Wingman Foundation okay. is a group of uh, aviators that turn about 98% of the money they receive into supporting the squadron, the families, and the, the needs that fall in between the cracks when there's a mishap. Yeah. So if family members need to get to a place or squadron uh, members need transport, these guys and gals have stepped in. Great organization. And since Mac is a big supporter of veterans and, and military, yes. from his books to everything that we do on the show, I'd like to give a quick plug to the Wingman, wingmanfoundation.org. Uh, I do a lot of support with them. Great group of guys mm -hmm. and gals. Super duper. Yeah. We should also mention uh, Homes for Our Troops. Homes for Our Troops. Uh, just Google them. They give uh, homes uh, completely paid, mortgage paid to uh, wounded veterans from the Afghan and uh, Iraqi wars. Um, also, so let's, before we start the plugs, let's just go around the table and thank everybody. Uh, first, Jim Frankel, thank you for joining us. Jim, thank you. My pleasure. Yeah. Okay. My you want to plug anything? What do you have to plug? What do you want to talk about? What do you have to promo? Well, I've got a, a, one of our clients has a book just about to come out. It's called uh, The Lady Brewer of London. It's a great historical novel hmm. set in the 15th century England. Uh, she's a okay. wonderful writer from down under. She does exquisite research, but great characters, great stories. And it's hmm. really very cool. Coming from Wayne Morrow in about two weeks. Wow. I see a PBS series. Karen in the Brooks. Yeah. I could see like yes, a, yes, we have actually. There's film interest in it. There's really, film yeah. TV interest in it. Wow, nice. Yikes. He Let's get his autograph now before it. Yeah, really now. You know, starts costing us. <laughs> thank you, Jim. We'll look forward to it. Uh, also, thank you, uh, Phil Baines. Thank you for joining us, Phil, once again and educating us. Well, it's um, been a great evening for me, and I learned as much as I hope I imparted. Hey, you were going to yeah, very cool stuff. You're going to play us out. Remember, you're going to play us out on your keyboard there. Well, I'm going to talk to you about that separately. And oh, really? I got an idea. Oh, okay, super duper. Okay. okay, thank you, Phil. Thank you very much. We'll talk to you All soon. All right, thank you. Okay, Club, how do we do? We pat look at look, look at how Club's dressed. Oh, I love it. <laughs> Sorry, is there a knee in waiting? No, uh, Club had to leave. I'm, oh, I'm really? filling fill in from <laughs> waiting. Okay, he looks good from getting hit with a bag of nickels. Yeah, he should be in the. Uh, <laughs> Is, is he in the Actors, Actors Guild yeah. as an official uh, stand-in for uh, the next Whitey Bulger movie? Yes. Get it over to uh, Whitey okay. and see if we can make contact. See if we can make contact? Well, well yeah. uh, Mac, Mac's got one. <laughs> That's right. I did get one. I'm afraid to open it. 
Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I bet he could knock on some doors. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And oh. people would be like having heart attacks. It, it, do it in Southie. They'll go, quick, get inside. Get inside, quick. <laughs> he came back from the dead. He's Down in Castle he's Island. Yeah. He should walk around Castle Island, freak everyone out. <laughs> it's real inside, local. So anyway, <laughs> thank you very much, Club, for joining us and reading all our families. Okay, thank you. Oh, just a wonderful night. Wonderful. Okay. So, and now we're down to Switchy. Switchy got the, uh, you know, now he's got the glasses on and also a, a visual of a train wreck. Thank you, Switchy, for continuing that tradition. Do you want to plug anything, you? Uh, well, the, the Mothman Legacy, which is produced by Small Town Monsters, okay. which is a sequel to the Mothman of Point Pleasant documentary. Yes. I am in there uh, periodically as a talking head. Really? Yeah. Cool. Hmm. It's, it's very well done. We'll look for oh, that. When's it released? Got, uh, Great lighting and uh, great lighting. Okay, you see me pontificating and making hand gestures. It's pretty cool. Uh, yeah. Okay. Well, <laughs> no we're not watching gestures. him tonight. Yes, right. No hand gestures. That's no, the new rule, me. as it turns out. Okay. Okay. Good for you. Getting and hand gestures. Well, that might be allowed. You never know. Thank you, Switchy, for joining us. Yeah. Thanks, Switch. We'll talk to you soon. My pleasure. Okay. Coco, potting is such sweet swallow. Coffee. <laughs> Easy for you, <laughs> And I guess we're going to say, yeah, we, we're going to say a retro goodbye to Jill, okay, who had to leave us, I guess. But thank you, Jill, for joining us. We really appreciate thank it. Thank you, Jill. And for sticking with us as long as you possibly could. One, one, thank you once again for joining us. You're welcome. I live for this. Yeah, I know. I get postcards from you saying that. That's right. Um, so uh, <laughs> until next time, oh, we should say we're a podcast now. Um, just go to um, go anywhere now. Go anywhere, really. Just Google, Google us. Yeah, Google. Google Mac Maloney's Military X Files. You get a list of about ten podcasts. Yeah, it's it's crazy. Excellent. Yeah, it's really uh, interesting how. Um, and Alexa, of course, you say to Alexa, play Mac Maloney's oh, Military X Files, and they do it. Yeah. Alexa wants to date us. That's how. Is that really? Is close it? we are to that platform. Really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's another. Trouble. Show. I got first dibs though. Oh, okay, fine, fine with me. That's right. Uh, thank you. <laughs> Just for those that can't see, his hands are above the table. It's, so I think it's cool. My hands are in my pocket. The entire show, my hands have been above the, above the table. No, really no cats around me or anything. <laughs> Nothing. Well, on that note, why don't we say thank you yeah. to everybody. Okay, I see. Yeah, okay. It looks like you're holding them up to be cuffed. <laughs> Assume the position. <laughs> thank you, Jim. Thank you to everyone, and thank you for everyone listening. And until next week, or next time you hear us, this is Mac Maloney for the entire gang saying be safe, be happy, and bye-bye.